0: Take a look on back a few decades
1: past to a simpler time today.
0: That's right, everyone. Welcome back to 80s High, the podcast that still plays high schoolers, even though they're in their 40s, taking you to school on all things radical from that magical decade we love. I'm
1: Chris. And I'm Ben. And this is 80s High, and we're totally high schoolers, right, Ben? We could pass. We're obviously totally high schoolers. How's it going, my fellow kids? Yeah, fellow teens, what's up? (laughs) No cats, son. (laughs) Some things never change, and and casting college kids and above as teenagers in movies just seems to never stop. It sins. Ooh, there's a little something. <laughs> Look that
0: up, <laughs> Grandpa. It sins. Anyway, I was told no cap is old yesterday, so I was like, Damn Oh really? It. Yes. Huh. Ouch. Yeah, Ouch. It, it hurt a little bit. I was like. And my things stuck around for a decade. Now the <laughs> right. lingo of the kids is moving too quick. It's so, yeah. <laughs> too quick. It's great. Oh, man. Brutal. All right. Well, you're listening to Fuddy Daddy High, everybody, where <laughs> a couple of geezers talk about a great decade. No. Uh, Lunch today we...
1: will be enshore and mashed prune <laughs> sauce.
0: It's going to be great. <laughs> Okay, before we take our vitamins, uh, then is there anything at homeroom time that we need to talk about? Anything 80s-tastic
1: that you've encountered uh, since last we spoke? I do, yes. As always, I have a couple of things in here. One, I have an amazing 80s discovery. Oh. This is a two-parter. It's a a one-two punch. Okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm continuing my quest of trying to go through 80s movies that I missed that weren't the big blockbusters that everybody knows. Yeah. And this week I watched Midnight Run with Robert De Niro, and it is awesome. It's a 1988 movie. De Niro's a bounty hunter in it, and it is super fun. It's actually really, really, really good. Huh. Okay. I've not seen it. So that's that's one half of the one-two punch. Okay. And in it, there's an FBI agent named Alonzo Mosley who comes up again. There's kind of this gag between him and De Niro. But he's played by Yafit Kato. Does that name ring a bell to you at all? No. So Yafet Kato is the actor. He played the chief engineer of the Nostromo in Alien. Mm, I'm trying to remember which character
0: is the chief engineer. He's
1: like, I think he's the second to last or third last to die. Before Ripley escapes oh, okay. on the pod, yes, okay, I know you're talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he also plays Laughlin in the Running Man. You know, one of the three dudes. Yes, he's one of the yes. two dudes. Okay, okay, okay. So you're gonna not love Not the this. one we- whose
0: head blows up, right? Like, right. Although that's at the very <laughs> no, beginning, no, the guy who like no, runs no, not the fence. That guy.
1: <sighs> so Yafikado, you're gonna love this reveal. So picture that guy in Running Man. Yeah, was offered the role of Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek: The Next Generation interesting and he turned it down and looking back on it years later after like tng became what it is to quote he said i think i made some wrong decisions in my life man <laughs> i should have done that but i walked away <laughs> when you're making movies you tend to say no to tv it's like when you're in college and someone asks you to do the high school dance you say no so like think how different if it would have been yafakado that would have been remarkable.
0: No, that is amazing. And it also does harken back to a time when, yeah, the prestigious thing to do was to be in movies. Like it was a right? downgrade to go to television. And I feel right. like it's not the opposite now, but I feel like it's much more fluid. Like I don't think that stigma is there anymore for no? actors. Like if it's a good role, it's a good role regardless. It's, you know, like, is it network television? Is it streaming? Whatever. If it's yeah. a good role,
1: you you take the thing. But yeah, that wow. So fascinating. Right? Totally different. The only other shout out I've got is congratulations to Instagram user L22Penguino, <gasps> who won our Brian Froud's Fairy's Tales book giveaway during our Labyrinth episode Yay. earlier this fall. Yay! Woo woo! Thank you for playing L22Penguino. By the time you hear this episode, your book should either be in your hands as you're sitting by a a goblin-inspired crackling fire, or it's somewhere in the mail on its way to you for this holiday season. But anyway, congrats. Thank you. And I'm so excited to uh, find out who's going to win our next gift. I guess by the time this publishes, people will have heard what happened with our Choose Your Own Adventure prize. But I don't know yet. You don't know yet. It's just about to
0: happen. I mean, yeah, we're sitting here... Mid October for an episode that's going to air in early December. So we are uh, right, right, we're, right. we're desynced from real time, but uh, yeah, we're very excited. That is that one just went out. So hopefully someone's going to nab a, a sweet little prize pack from Choose Your Own Adventure. Amazing. And also
1: maybe the best sponsors ever in the history of podcasting. One um, might think.
0: No maybes. I think no maybes. Choose <laughs> uh, yeah. yes. Listen, you know, we may not be hitting all the top charts on Spotify and Apple and all that kind of stuff. We're going to leave that to everybody else. We've got the best sponsor and it's not – what is it? Socks and underwear and uh, <laughs> prescription food or uh, what? Not prescription
1: food. <laughs> subscription Prescript. food. <laughs> prescription food. <laughs> Take two bananas and call me in the morning. Like, what what is happening right now? (laughs) Um, That's what was on my headlines for Homeroom. Have any 80s meteors or satellites come in your orbit recently? So, way back earlier this season, gosh, I'm trying to remember what episode
0: it was. Oh, I think it was Labyrinth. You mentioned watching Once Bitten. Oh, yeah, with Jim Carrey. Early days, Jim Carrey movie movie about vampires. Yes. And, and it popped up on gosh, what was it? I you know, it's a middle of October. I'm in my Halloween scary movie binge oh, and yeah, it popped perfect. up on uh, I believe Amazon. It was on there and I was like, "Oh, here's <gasps> the one." Yes. And uh I started watching it. And I didn't finish it. It's Yeah, I'm not done with the eighth even. Sure, it's a choice. I mean, it was fine. Like, I, I wasn't – it didn't pull me in. And, um, you know, maybe it just wasn't the right time. But I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm giving it a try, kind of like you. I've been thinking a lot about watching some of those old movies that um haven't seen before. Right. So you made the Cado connection in Midnight Run. Cleavon Little, like, he shows up really early in Once Bitten, and he played uh, the main character in Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles. Oh, my God. He's yes, he does. And I was like <laughs>
1: – I know that guy. Hold oh, on a second. I was wondering where I recognize that guy. Holy yeah, cow. He's like totally. The, um,
0: oh, what's it called?
1: He's sort of like oh the familiar. He's the vampire's familiar. Yeah, so he's like a thrall for this
0: vampire lady. And it was like kind of a comedy, but kinda of not. Oh no, it was sure. interesting. The the vibe sure, was all over the place. Was uh unique to say the least. Anyway, the connections. Always being made on this podcast. I love it. Ben? I think we need to hear the homeroom announcements to find out what's going on at lunch, what's going on after school, so that we can head down the hallway and start talking about today's topic adventures and babysitting.
1: What do you say? I'm down, but it is Halloween season, and we were just talking about a vampire movie. I wonder if the dish might be sanguine in nature. <laughs>
0: Attention
2: 80s high. I'm Aaron here to share today's homeroom announcements. If you don't want to end up hearing about all the tubular awesomeness of the best decade ever from that lame guy at the office in a boring secondhand account, follow 80s High on Instagram. Today's lunch menu will be mac and cheese with a side of tots and blue Kool-Aid. If you're loving 80s High, Consider supporting the show by dropping a rad review or rating on Apple. Tell a classmate to tune in or even chipping in a few dollars at coffee.com. It sounds like coffee, but it's spelled K-O-F-I. We know you got all that extra cash from babysitting or dubbing cassette tapes. So don't bite, bro. Share the love, man. After school today... The Mogwai Fencing Club invites you to come try out. They're hoping to sign up the next Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> Minus the killing, of course. Thank you, and have a righteous day. Go Mogwai.
0: All I'm saying is don't eat the tomato soup, everybody. Just don't do it! <laughs> <laughs> Not today of all days. No, sir. No, ma'am. Just move along. Eat the grilled
1: cheese. I think it's safe. Wisely done. Wisely done. My, the little single ketchup packets they gave out were a little runny. Those no. were a little questionable. I don't know what was going on. But uh, otherwise, uh, but, you know, it was fine. It was, yes. I think we'll be
0: okay. Skip the Santa Clarita diet. Okay. Well, <laughs> with that all said, let's strap on our roller skates, don our Thor helmets. And Mjolnir our way down the hall to history class to learn how this
1: babysitting adventure began. I feel like I'm ready for an 80s high adventure. Let's do it. Massive props. I feel like, I mean, I've seen all the Avengers movies and all that kind of in the Marvel movies. And no matter how many times I've heard it, I cannot pronounce Mjolnir. You said it, which was like, like, you didn't even look like you practiced or tried. It was very smooth. I think it's Mjolnir. You know, Jerry,
0: don't come after us if I've said it slightly oh, wrong. You know, Jerry, Jerry he's always he's always there, seething. ready to hit the red button. Er, wrong, seething somewhere, to send some uh, salty mails. But uh, we're here <laughs> in history class to talk about, as I said in the intro last episode, one of my top three favorite eighties yeah. movies. It's a big statement. That is a huge statement. Right. Knowing what the '80s has delivered to us, right? It's a dense decade of cinema. It is a dense decade, but such a joyful movie. So let's uh, let's just do a little recap. What is Adventures in Babysitting? Now, I was watching a video and prep for this. You know, do a little bit of research and. The YouTuber had such a fantastic synopsis, I basically stole it, so I'm going to give credit. Because, you know, usually we
1: borrow it from other sources. Knowing that this film went through a draft of one time where it was about a heist, I think it's totally okay that you lift someone else's summary of the movie. Beautiful. So, Minty,
0: comedic arts, this goes to you. Released in 1987, Elizabeth Shue plays teenager Chris Parker, who after getting stood up by her boyfriend ends up babysitting the Anderson kids, Sarah and Brad, and Brad's best friend, Daryl. Daryl. When Chris gets a frantic phone call from her best friend, Brenda, who's run away from home and stuck at a bus station, Chris and the younger kids set out into Chicago to save her. But one mishap after the other leads to several wacky misadventures that happen along the way as they try to make it through the city's night streets and back home before Mr. and Mrs. Anderson return. Yeah, that's smooth.
1: That's perfect. That's a great overview.
0: Now, Ben, did you know that this movie is not only directed by Chris Columbus, but this was his first directing gig out of NYU in 1980?
1: Yeah, I did not realize this was the first one. And and I mean, if that name rings a little bell, I mean, we've talked about gremlins on this show. Yeah. You've got the Goonies. He directed Home Alone. This is a legendary dude who painted really what the picture is of like kids in the later 80s and the early 90s. So he's a legend, but I didn't know this was the first I mean, Mrs. Doubtfire, nine months, (laughs) rent, the first two Harry Potter movies.
0: Uh, (gasps) He hasn't done a ton of movies, but he's directed some like instant classics and uh, just very well known properties, you know, both Home Alone movies. It's
1: it's huge. That's huge. Wait, Chris Columbus directed the musical film version of Rent? Yeah, the 2005 Rent. Yeah. What? Yeah. I had planned for Rent to come up in this episode, but that's not where I had planned it. It will, yes, It will also
0: come up again. Now, very cool. Prior to this, he had done screenplays, as you mentioned, for Gremlins and The Goonies. So he didn't direct yeah. those two, but he did write the screenplays. So we've named some of the most '80s and '90s tastic movies that are out right. there, right? Now, I read that for his directorial debut of this movie, he said that he reviewed a hundred scripts. Yeah, that apparently this was a a script or an idea. That had been around for quite a while. I thought I read somewhere or heard somewhere that like almost back to the 60s or 70s was an idea, a seedling for this movie. Did you see that as well?
1: Yeah, I couldn't find exactly when the date was, but the story that I heard was from screenwriter David Simpkins, who wrote okay. the screenplay for this. And that Great. it it got passed from friend to friend to friend in the industry. And even like the first draft that he had wasn't even like really all that fleshed out. It was really like, a, a really solid ideas that went through. But, I mean, it went through so many different people uh, before it ever got to Chris. This is like the musical
0: chairs of scripts. Round and round she goes. Where she stops, nobody knows. Uh, well, we do know now. And what was interesting is that Columbus chose this movie because he felt comfortable with its scale. Again, this is his first directorial yeah. movie. So he's like, I need to do something that I feel like I can tackle and do well. Now, what I saw is that initially Paramount Pictures had the what's called right of refusal, first right of refusal. So basically, yeah, they're like, hey, they demanded Molly Ringwald be cast in the lead role.
1: And for those whose brains are suffering at the moment, that is the 80s femme star of Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles and, and, and a bunch of others. Yeah. So ultimately though, the movie does get passed to Touchstone Pictures.
0: Um, they get financing, I guess, to purchase the rights of this movie. And Touchstone at this point is owned by parent company, Walt Disney. So this is kind of Walt Disney's way to like venture out of their like feel good, kid friendly, family friendly movies. And Touchstone is like a huge imprint oh, yeah. for movies in the 80s. Like it's, totally, it's massive. Totally. Totally. I read that over 150
1: actresses auditioned for the lead role. Absolutely. Which included several other 80s names. Phoebe Cates was yep. was up for this part. Yeah. Uh, and so was Valerie Bertinelli, who, yeah. um, which connecting to a, an earlier episode we did this season, she was in Hot in Cleveland with Betty White from The Golden Girls. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. It's all come together.
0: I also had Justine Bateman. Oh, yeah. Good one. Yeah. Andy McDowell, Julia Louis-Dreyfus- Brooke Shields, Sharon Stone, Jodie Foster, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Heather Langenkamp. Now, I didn't think Nightmare
1: on Elm Street would come up in this episode, but she's Nancy. No, totally. That's a great one. And I also have another Halloween movie drop, Halloween from 1978. Do you know this connection? Oh, it's escaping me. Please remind me. Some other strong, independent women we're talking about in the whole production of this movie. You've got Deborah Hill and Linda Obst, and these are the producers who are shopping oh, yes. the screenplay around, trying to get you know a studio to produce it. So Deborah Hill produced 1978's Halloween. Yeah, both Halloween and Adventures in Babysitting are about a teenage girl experiencing a wild night that's a little different than your normal babysitting evening. A little but, bit. But there's a quick shot. It's real quick. Yes. In Adventures of Babysitting, in the background is a TV, and the TV is playing the movie Halloween because of Deborah Hill.
0: Yes, 100%. Now, I have read about that, Ben, but I didn't actually catch it when I did my rewatch. Because I think I read that after I had done my most recent rewatch. But what yeah, a great me little as well. me as well. what a great yeah. little Easter egg! I love that so much. Yeah. Of course, the role uh, goes to Elizabeth Shue, and she was a student at Harvard University at the time. Not surprised. What a what a genius, talented young lady. Oh my gosh, she's fantastic in this movie. So she is cast in the role of Chris Parker. We also get some other folks in here. We have Keith Coogan as Brad Anderson. Yeah. And Maya Bruton is Sarah Anderson. So those are the two kids Chris babysits, along with their rambunctious, rowdy, crass neighbor friend, Daryl Cooper-Smith, played by Anthony Rapp. Is that a... uh Good way to characterize Daryl. Sure, uh, yeah, that is absolutely his his character. And then to round out our core group is Chris Parker's best friend Brenda. Oh my god! Oh Brenda, one poor, of my favorites. Poor Brenda. She's got some really good jokes in this. She's got some of the best scenes. Uh, oh my god! And she does a beautiful job with him. Penelope Ann Miller. Now, yeah, Ben. Some of these names are probably familiar. What were these actors doing? You know, just before around this same time
1: as Adventures of Babysitting comes out. I'm so glad you asked because it's interesting. Like if I were to try and really summarize from way back for a lot of the actors in this, this is either their breakout role or like their second biggest movie role. Like, mm-hmm. It's really a momentum starter for a lot of them. So you mentioned Elizabeth Shue is playing Chris and really by this time, all she's really been is Ali in Karate Kid. That's Ralph Macchio's yeah, girlfriend that's right. in that movie. That's right. And that's like pretty much it. I mean, we've got a lot to talk about after this movie, but sure. you're right. That's, totally, totally. Like you
0: said, kind of a breakout.
1: So Maya Bruton also hasn't done a whole bunch. Like she was Lorraine's younger sister in Back to the Future. Yeah. Keith Coogan as Brad. So he's the one actually that does have a lot lot of history. He has a bunch of bit parts. Like one episode appearances and some more on a bunch of TV shows by this time. So mm. he's on Knight Rider, Mork and Mindy, Little House on the Prairie, Laverne and Shirley, Fantasy Island, The Waltons, and Growing Pains. Wow. He's out there a lot. That's a really extensive
0: filmography already. He's got wrecked up. Good career, He's got man. a good CV.
1: Yeah. Anthony Rapp as Daryl. This is his first gig. <laughs> when you go to IMDb, this is at the bottom of the list. This <sighs> is it. So good for him. We're going to get more to his future.
0: Anthony Rapp. So good. Oh, my God. He I is to really, talk really good. Darryl. Oh, my gosh.
1: Of course, you mentioned Penelope Ann Miller as Brenda. <sighs> and like this, she's only made a couple cameos on just a few shows, like Family Ties and Guiding Light. Okay. And that's kind of it.
0: Did she do any commercials for Tab or Drano uh, before this? <laughs> or- <laughs> sorry what <laughs> remember she has that line at the beginning where she's like talking about her stepmom and she's like i'm gonna spike her tab with trato it was like the oh, most yeah, eighty right, seconds right, right. ever and i loved every minute of it it's so good i only have
1: a couple more bradley whitford plays mike which we'll talk about later and yeah, like he's kind of the the d-bag boyfriend of chris <laughs> right, right the guy who cancels on her because he's a uh, uh, little sicker oh he's got a sick uh, uh, brother or something yeah and, like, he gets a huge career later, but by this time, not a lot yet, actually. Like, still not really big on the radar. Okay. The only other one is Vincent D'Onofrio, who plays Dawson, uh, a- a.k.a. Thor, at the right. garage later on. <laughs> That's right. And also at this time, he's been in one episode of Miami Vice. And, of course, he's famous around this time for being in the movie Full Metal Jacket. Right. But, again, like, his most of his career is still far ahead of him by the time this movie comes out. And I think Full Metal comes out. Is it after?
0: Like, there's a really interesting thing. He had to gain a lot of weight for Full Metal Jacket. Right? If, like, if you right. look at
1: him in this movie, the dude's buff AF. He's an Adonis in this movie, not a Thor. He's It's amazing. Good for him. Yeah. And then, like, he looks
0: way different. And I did not realize those were in the same year. Kind of wild. A few other people that show up in this movie that we'll be talking about. So Joe Gipp, he's the car thief they run into. Oh, yeah, he's great. With the lovely dimples. That's Calvin Levels. And we also have John Ford Noonan as handsome John Pruitt. Oh, right. Everyone's favorite tow truck driver with a hook hand. We also have John Chandler as Bleak. He's the mob boss. Take the Brady Bunch upstairs. <laughs> He's perfect in that role. He was perfectly best cast. Best voice. Best voice. And then the other person that we will uh, mention here is Ron Canada, who plays Graydon. He's like Bleak's second in command. So those oh, three yeah, are yeah, like yeah, our- yeah, yeah. Our bad guy trio, but I mean, honestly, Joe is not a bad guy. He's just, you know, the car thief with the heart of gold. Uh, he's yeah. just doing it to get by. He's great. Well, I guess there's one more role we can talk about, which is George Newburn, He plays Dan Lynch, the college student. He ends oh, up being like a, right. a love interest for, for Chris. There's a few other people in here, but, you know, we'll, we'll come back to those. I mean, that's our cast. It's not a huge cast. Like it's pretty, you know, small and tight as it goes with uh, who's in this movie. Yeah, it's solid too. Now, I want to talk a little bit about production of the movie. Principal photography takes place in Toronto. Production designer Todd Hallowell said they simulated Chicago streets. Basically, they show up in Toronto and they're like, this city is way too clean. So they had to put a bunch of garbage everywhere. This almost reminded me of batteries not included. Remember, they just had to have all that garbage. Oh yeah, And then it would get taken away. And they're like, no, 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 we need the the garbage. But apparently the Toronto sanitation workers, are MVPs, they would like come around and clear all this trash out. So they basically had to have security to keep these people from doing such a great job because they're like, we're shooting a movie here. Have you been to Chicago? Apparently
1: it's a trash filled wasteland and this is what we need. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to chemistry and just say okay. like, I've spent a lot of time in Chicago, a lot of time. And I learned this fact before rewatching Adventures in Babysitting and even set dressing the streets with garbage. It is nowhere near as trash as Chicago is <laughs> even now or in the last 20 years. Still, <laughs> it's still not enough garbage.
0: <laughs> Just saying. Also, they had to reconstruct two stories of the Associates Center skyscraper which is where they shot those iconic shots of uh, the characters on the side yeah. of the building, the diamond building, as everyone probably knows right. it. Right. They did shoot some location shots in Chicago proper, yeah. particularly for the L, all the scenes on the, the L. Also the nightclub, the Chicago Expressway, Lower Wacker Drive, and then Wolf Point. I love the shout out to
1: Lower Wacker Drive because you see a lot of that in The Dark night that was shot oh, on Lower yeah. Wacker Drive. Yes. And the L train, I thought the fun little fact is they needed to go back to do some pickup shots on the L train, but they got there at 3 a.m. And nobody was working at the L at 3 a.m. So they, like, bolt cutter, like, picked the lock That's on they the broke L's in. platform. And they broke in to shoot yeah. their, like, pickup shots they needed one night, which I thought was pretty metal. That's pretty punk rock. Doing what they need to do
0: to get the job done. And I will yeah. say the, uh, the lower Wacker drive scenes, oh, some of the, like, best music. Oh yeah, uh, so in this girly. movie. We need to come back to that. So good. Yeah. This also features cameos from two musicians. We have blues singer and guitarist Albert Collins. He's in yeah, the uh, Nobody leaves here without singing a blues. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like the iconic scene of this movie. And then singer songwriter Southside Johnny Lyon. And he's mm. the guy who's performing, I think, two songs at the frat party that we get to in the, you know, kind of last third of the movie. Yeah. Um, So that's what I have for production. Ben, is there
1: anything else you saw of interesting notes putting this movie together? What happened? The only tiny fact is that the Anderson house that was staged in Toronto, there was snow on the ground and it kept snowing during production. So they had to go out in the morning with a bunch of heaters plugged in and melt all the snow around the house every day they were going to shoot. So it looked like Chicago in the summer.
0: Normally it's the opposite. They're pumping in fake snow. Remember gremlins that had like the worst fake snow ever as they were like trying to make it look like a winter wonderland. So here we have the opposite. A problem, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that's
0: all I have for production. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about its release. So this movie comes out, as mentioned, in 1987. But Ben, did you see this movie's
1: not called Adventures in Babysitting everywhere around the globe? I need your help because I don't understand necessarily why the name has changed so drastically, uh, especially in the UK. Yeah, what's this movie called? So it comes out in the UK as A Night on the Town. Not Adventures in Babysitting. So generic. Such a generic name. Is it because the UK calls babysitting something else? Like, is it not called babysitting when you take care of someone else's kids? It would be Hijinks and Molly Codling.
0: I don't know. Uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hijinks and Molly Codling. Now, if that was the name, it would have been fantastic. I have Googled it. It's called Child Minding. In the UK. Oh. Not babysitting, childminding. Adventures in childminding.
0: <laughs> I mean, right? I would take that over a night on the town. The most generic title ever. Oh my God. Ever. You know, it is unclear. I tried to get answers as to why. You know, often movie titles change because, like, you know, words mean different things in different right? cultures yeah. or countries or, you know, there's different connotations or – you know, it's an idiom that doesn't quite translate. This is really unclear, particularly for the UK. I could maybe see in another country where like babysitting is not the term. So I guess at best it's because of that. But I am surprised they didn't just like tweak it a little bit to a more familiar term, perhaps child minding, or I like Molly Coddling. It's just a it's Molly great Molly Coddling is great. Adventures great with Molly great Coddling. Word. Also, I saw the poster. I want to talk about the poster here in a second. The UK poster actually has Dan the boyfriend character. So, you know, the the poster is the iconic, all the characters scaling the side of a building, right? Right, yeah. So in the UK version, Dan has his arm around Chris, almost like he's helping her up the building. Oh, weird, okay. To me, it sort of takes away a little bit of her agency of like leading this troop because she needs this dude to help her out. I'm like, this man barely showed up in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he has to
1: help her up a building? No, thank you, UK. I mean, it's not as weird as the Japanese poster. Did you see the Japanese poster? <laughs> Please talk about this. Oh, my God. Absolutely racist. Sure. I'm going to call it racist because it racist, is. Racist, ableist. Like, there's a lot of things going on. I, yeah. And, go and for just it. completely nonsensical. So, like, it's the same relative layout, like the kids are rappelling up a building, but in the sky, totally weirdly translucent in the top left of the poster. Is a dude who's one of the henchmen, right? He's one of the main villains. It's Graydon. It's the second in command
0: bad guy. The guy who ends up like dangling on the side of the building. Like Joe kind of leaves him out there
1: because he's like, he crawls out to go after Sarah. But in this poster, he's reaching and he's gigantic. He's like a god on this poster. He's reaching towards the kids with a hook hand, which he does not have in the movie. No, that's handsome John Pruitt. That's the tow truck driver guy. But like... It totally changes what this movie might be about. You think it's like this evil city villain in cyber future chasing these kids. It's a totally different vibe from this poster. He's also one of the few black
0: characters. So, like, are they trying to make the black characters seem more menacing by giving him a hook hand? Like, he looks like I don't he know. Looks he looks very scary like in this picture. A He's villain in a slasher movie. Yeah, and like the image they took of him is when. He's chasing Sarah and you remember the part where like she's in the elevator and she hits the button and he like reaches through the elevator to try to grab her and like gets stuck right. in the door. That's what the screenshot like is from. It's a two
1: second thing and like now it's the poster for the movie. But now it's like I know what
0: you did last summer, like up in the sky, like Freddy Krueger or some stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a, Japan, what are you doing? Japan? Right, right, right. It's Weird ex- vibe. Weird it's vibe. It's exciting enough. Leave it alone, Japan. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so that's wild. Well, let's talk a little bit about this poster because my goodness, the poster is designed by Drew Struzan. And this is iconic, of course. If you know this movie, you know the poster. As I mentioned before, it's our main characters. They're scaling the side of a building. They're climbing a rope. It's a great action looking poster. Well, Drew is like a movie poster god of the time oh, he yeah. also did posters for all the back to the future movies mhm the goonies which is kind of similar, little similar. Kids little similar, on an like adventure,
1: all, right? All of them holding on to one another, climbing a very steep, precipitous thing. I think in Japan, the old lady had a hook hand and she was reaching <laughs> for the kids from a pirate. <laughs> oh it would make
0: God. sense. It's a pirate ship. It makes sense. She it has does a make,
1: hook hand. It would make more sense on that poster than this it would poster. Make I'm not gonna lie. Way more sense. Way more sense. My goodness.
0: And uh, he also did the Indiana Jones poster. So, oh, awesome. it looks kind of like an adventure movie. Uh, obviously. in the title and that's why we get that great poster Drew Struzan knocking it out of the park in the
1: 80s man Dude, that's awesome. And this is like such an iconic poster of that time. It really gives the vibe of what poster art was like around that time. Because you've got what what Drew's making, but certainly you've got a lot of other artists who are in the industry who are like, Drew knows what he's doing. And they're trying to draw like Drew. So you see a lot of posters that have this kind of vibe going on. Not not necessarily the Japanese version, but the American (laughs)
0: version. (laughs) Once again, Japan, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, so this movie does well at the box office. It was made on a $7 million budget and uh, it makes $34 million. So it does well. That's like what?
1: Uh, five times almost the, uh, the budget? that it makes back. That's pretty great. I saw it opened in ninth place at 2.9 million. So like it's opening weekend wasn't like crushing it. Sure. But it had a longer life at the theater. And once the word got out about what, how good it was, uh, I think that's where that other 31 million come from by the end of the day.
0: Absolutely. And you know, we've talked about this on so many other episodes about movies. I'm sure this movie came out against like 15 other amazing movies.
1: Well, and it had a bit of a crazy thing with it. I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but it's the first PG-13 movie ever put out by Disney. That's right. So sort of a gamble with Disney coming out with that too.
0: That's right. And this is them kind of experimenting a little bit under their touchstone pictures in print right. where it's like it's not disney proper but it is disney but you know they're yeah. not gonna release a disney proper movie with pg-13 but they can kind of do a little dalliance over here with uh, <laughs> touchstone <laughs> test the water so to speak yes yeah, so it's kind of a big deal the movie did receive generally positive reviews uh siskel and ebert had some reviews of it ebert he was kind of so-so on it he gave it two and a half out of four stars He said the Blues Club sequence is the best scene. Duh, of course, Roger. But he did say the film could have done more with the black characters. Uh, He said it was good raw material, but had too many unrealized possibilities.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about that more in chemistry. But there's, there's a four-minute review of him and Siskel going back and forth about this movie. Mm. And actually, my favorite quote from what Ebert says, is he goes, quote, Nobody above the age of 19 lives in Chicago. Yeah. Like he's just talking about how young everyone is. He's just sort of old man yelling at clouds, but he's like, Movies are always about teenagers in Chicago. This movie could also be called Ferris Bueller's Sister's Night Off.
0: Which is kind of funny to me in that there are several adults in this movie. Yeah,
1: they're there.
0: But Ebert uh, clearly was just kind of, you know, he had a, a spur in his boots. So right, exactly. That's how it goes. Uh, Siskel, a little bit kinder, just by a margin, three out of four stars. He said it was a genial, warm-hearted romp. He did praise the performance of the young cast. He said Elizabeth Shoe was earnestly appealing. Uh, but he did say that the movie did lack a social awareness. I don't know if that was also in relation to
1: the characters and particularly the black characters. I'm not sure. I think it's the same issue, which I do okay. want to talk about in chemistry. But I was I, I sure. was surprised I'm overgeneralizing here, which I think both Eber and Siskel just did. But I'm going to do it too. Uh, I feel like Ebert is usually more forgiving in movie reviews, and Siskel's yeah. usually negative. But this is like a rare instance where Siskel was sure. warmer, especially to a family movie. And Ebert's usually kind of happy with any kind of family adventures and things like that. So I, I don't know. I was kind of surprised that Siskel was uh, was more excited for it than Ebert. Absolutely. So I think with
0: that, Ben, I don't want to delay us talking about this movie and our experience with it. I actually don't know the first time you saw this movie. I need to know this backstory. So it's time we hop in our station wagon and hit the expressway to chemistry class to discuss our experiences with this
1: movie. And uh I don't know, maybe we should try not to run over Daryl, you think? Uh, I think that's a great call. Just don't forget to bring your wallet for gas money. Oh, almost forgot it.
0: <laughs> I love that in this movie, 50 bucks is like the most absurd amount of money for these kids, which I totally get. But I'm like, I go out to dinner and I'm like, 50 bucks just evaporated. What Oh happened? my God. I mean. In-
1: <laughs> He also says 50 bucks is a new tire, which today, like a new tire is $300. Can you imagine just gifting someone, a stranger, a new tire? That's nuts. And you're already making me mad, Chris. You're making Uh me mad. uh uh He fixes the car in the same night it's dropped off. I just got my car back from a mechanic after being at the shop for three weeks for just a basketball-sized dent in the door. He fixes it in one night. What mechanic does that?
0: Yeah, I had to get a software update for my car and I had to schedule it like two months in advance. Right? And I was like, okay, hopefully this works out all right. Because it was kind of a, not quite a recall upgrade, but it was something where like a thing sure. could go wrong sure. in the car. Sure. And I was, and it like, it just stops working. Maybe on the expressway, I don't know. <laughs> I was rolling some dice. So yeah, oh man. That's amazing. Simpler times. Simpler, Simpler times, everybody. Simpler times, really. Well, let's speak to simpler times and talk about our first memories, earliest experiences watching Adventures in Babysitting. Ben, do you want me to kick it off? Do you want to kick off? What makes
1: sense? I'll kick it off because I feel like you'll have more color to bring us back to the movie. I Adventures in Babysitting is almost my the thing for season four. I don't, I don't think I finally saw Adventures in Babysitting until like... Maybe the early aughts, like maybe around 2006, 2007. And it was just the kind of thing where I think they were still like Netflix discs going on. And it like showed up with like, you like these things, you might like this. And I was like, I remember that VHS box at Hollywood Video and Blockbuster every time I went in. Right. And I just never picked it up because I was going for something else. And I never caught it on like TNT or USA or any of those channels where this stuff played. So I picked it up. I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And then that was, I mean, I probably watched it by myself at the time. And and I was just really late to it. I kind of missed it, which is kind of a bummer because it, it's it's a gem. I'm glad I finally got there eventually. And then, of course, I rewatched it uh, just last week for, the, for our recording. Wonderful. But you, as one of your top three of the decade, probably have something a lot more interesting and intimate than I had when your first brush with babysitting. Yeah, so...
0: It's one of those things where like, I don't have a flashball memory of this, but I know I saw this in the theater when it came out. I like to think I went with my brother and my grandmother. I don't know if I ever told this story. Maybe I did way back in season one, but she never wanted to pay for concessions. So she would like wrap a can of Coke oh, in like a,
1: about this. a paper yes.
0: towel and shove it in her ginormous purse so that she would just like pop out these drinks or snacks for my brother and I because she just refused to pay the concession prices. It's so funny. So I'd like to think that, you know, that was the setup when we went and saw this movie. I just remember instantly loving it, always just really enjoying this movie. I have a lot of fond memories of rewatching it throughout life. But, you know, uh, probably within the last decade, I really hadn't seen it in a while. And in 2021, a couple of friends and I were figuring out what we wanted to do for... We'd have these, like, Saturday get-together movie marathons. We'd watch, like, four movies in a day. We'd all be in, like, pajamas, and we'd be, like, all snug watching movies. And then we'd usually, like, make a meal together and then have drinks and all that good stuff. And we had landed on doing movies about 80s adventures, and... I remember three of the movies. We did Romancing the Stone. Oh, yeah. We did Dirty Dancing. Fantastic. We did something else. And we did Adventures in Babysitting. Okay. We had so much fun watching this movie. And like, you know, we had been doing this podcast. I was like, I have to talk about this movie at some point.
1: Oh, I'm so so glad we
0: we got to. Right at the tail end of season four. I had to wedge it in there. I was like, we we can't get out of this last season without talking about it. So, yeah, that's kind of my experience throughout history, watching this movie. You saved the best for last. Ben, how do we tackle this? Oh, my gosh. There's great moments. There's great quotes. You know, we've gone through some movies and just basically almost telegraphed the entire script. I don't know that I want to do that, but how how do we approach this?
1: There's a lot to talk about. There is so much to talk about. I am happy to go in order. Thankfully, after working together for so long on this podcast, you and I have a similar structure to research, except you're usually better at watching more TV episodes than I am. But I think just going in order with the movie. I've, I've got running notes from my watch as well. I'd love to, oh my God, get into this. Well, I mean, let's talk
0: about the introduction to this movie. Yes, please. And then he kissed me. Uh, yeah. This great chestnut of a song is playing – we meet Chris Parker, she's dancing. Well, first off, we get the Touchstone Pictures logo that like sure. slides across the screen. And I was like, oh, now that's a callback. You remember back. those? You remember that's those. That's a callback, so good. my goodness. I, I missed that. That's just so classic.
1: It was always that one. I miss the old Paramount with it's like the Statue of Liberty holding the beacon. Yeah. And then uh, Tristar with Pegasus. Da-da, da-da, oh, da-da, yeah. And Pegasus comes running through to take off.
0: Yeah. Well, Universal's always had the like variations of the globe turning. Of course, MGM right. with the lion, the roaring sure. lion. There's sure. a lot of them, but I feel like some of them are way more like timeless. Touchstone is just of an era. It's just oh, totally. this, like 80s, 90s time capsule. So good. I love this. It's it's Chris dancing around. She's singing to the song. When I was a kid, the, uh, the part where, and then he asked me to be his bride and she's got like the curtain over her head like it's a veil. I always thought that was hilarious. I don't That's know good. why. So
1: good. Elizabeth looks amazing. She's fantastic. So good. This initial scene, when you're introduced to her in this way, I wrote, how could you ever cancel a date on Chris? Like, she's so charming. She's so wonderful. Look how fun she is. This dude's a moron later on. But here's the thing. I did the math in this scene that's going to make your back hurt. So then he kissed me, came out by the Crystals in 1963. Yeah. And so this movie comes out in 87. She was supposed to be 17 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, she's born in 1970, so she's singing a song that came out seven years before she was born. So, that would be like a 17-year-old in 2023 singing a hit from 1999, like TLC's No Scrubs, Baby One More Time by Britney Spears, (laughs) Live in La Vida Loca, I Want It That Way, All Star by Smash Mouth, or Will Smith's Wild Wild West. (sighs) Wow. Like, I feel like I just got a text from AARP. That made me feel old.
0: I don't feel old. I just feel sad that that would be the songs that a director or <laughs> right. you know whoever's picking music for a
1: movie that's what they have to choose from. Right. I'm sorry. I mean, I could have gone a little deeper for something a little more fitting, but I was trying to think of like no. big Billboard I mean, that's top one hundred
0: era. That's what that that yeah. was ninety nine. That's so nineties. There it is. Yeah. And then of course we're introduced to the D bag boyfriend Mike. Um, I don't know if I called him Brad earlier. Uh It's Bradley Whitford. The brother is Brad. It's so confusing, everybody. <laughs> My goodness. Uh Anyway, Mike pulls up and we know he's a D-bag because his license plate says so cool, uh, which oh, Daryl later right. jokes about. Did you hear the story behind this license plate? No. There's a story behind that so cool license plate? So apparently that's Bradley Whitford's real license plate in his car at the time. So that's actually his own vehicle. And they incorporated that into this character
1: and into the movie and then made a joke about it. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we also made the joke early on how like college kids and above always keep playing high schools and stuff. So I'm just throwing out that Elizabeth Shue is 24 in Adventures in Babysitting and Bradley Whitford's 28 Uh, at the time this is filmed.
0: Ten years older than he should be.
1: Yeah, as a senior in high school, it's ridiculous. And the eighties
0: are so egregious. They weren't even
1: trying. They didn't. Even they try. weren't even trying. They didn't even try. Oh my See, goodness! Thing, like in the bedroom when she's like getting dressed and excited for the date. I just something that I think is really charming about her in this movie too is like how excited you were for a date back in mm. the eighties. Like there was so much unknown. There was so much thrill about it. When I read stuff or I hear from friends who have kids who are in high school or of dating age, like now you've got the whole social media thing involved. So there's so much knowledge about each other. There's so much anxiety reading each other's posts before a thing. And then like afterwards, you've got like, you know, then it's everyone's knowledge. People are watching your social media feeds of like what happened and you can get ghosted. Like you just get dropped and it becomes a whole thing. Like there was just, I don't know. There seems like just so much cooler excitement about dating before you had like the internet and cell phones just the anticipation of what's going to happen that night it's very cool yeah there's something to be said
0: i think for that kind of experience and having it just be i don't know a little more private a little more personal Uh, you know and a little more mystery perhaps yeah you're not like sliding into their dms you're not uh checking their (laughs) socials Right. You're not doing all your investigative research, or like parents who are like, I'm doing a background check on that guy, I'm making sure he's not pulling up. And, right, you know, and any so kind of cool,
1: license database. Place.
0: Yeah, we're looking up so cool. How many old ladies has he run over? How many hit and runs? So, <laughs> so you know, we get his lame excuse, whatever, and like we're off to the races. Like, we get our introduction to Brenda at this point. Brenda, fantastic introduction. <sighs> She's so over her stepmom. She's going to spike her tab with Drano. She says the town's like Dairy Queen. You only get one flavor. She's got some great lines from the outset.
1: Chris, I need your help because, you know, I got to check my privilege where I can check it. I never attempted to run away from home. But the kids I knew who tried to run away from home, like, adorably packed a suitcase at the age of nine and, like, drug it down a block of the sidewalk. And that's as far as they made it. Brenda's a senior in high school. Like she's almost an adult and can do what she wants. Who runs away from home at this age?
0: You've never heard of a teenage runaway. I don't know what to say to that. Like there's all sorts of teenage runaways. She's
1: so close, though. You're almost at the finish line. Like Brenda, just wait probably four months, and you could do this totally without problems.
0: Ben, you've never had a step parent. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> I guess I'm not. It can be terrible. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you wanted to spike one of your biological parents' uh, tab with <laughs> drink. No, I don't know. Oh my
1: God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. So if Mike didn't cancel the date, the movie doesn't happen, right? Because then Chris and them go on the date. Her night's good. She's all in the clear. We talk about so many movies that break if you had a cell phone on you. Mm -hmm. If Brenda just had a debit card or a credit card on her, she could pay. They would never had to go downtown to rescue her. I tried to Google it. Credit cards were pretty common by the 1960s. So, like, by the 80s, she should have had some plastic and could have gotten home. Brenda, where's your where's your wallet? If she had a phone, she just could have called an Uber
0: and, you know, <laughs> found a way to pay for it on the way back. Charged you her credit card. Yeah, that's how I got
1: man Oh, man. Done. No, that's funny. The movie is done. Brenda's great. I can't wait to talk more about Brenda's scenes. They're so good. <sighs> oh, my God. The best part of this movie. It's a delightful movie,
0: but she has some of the best scenes. So, yeah, like I said, we're, we're kind of off to, like, a pretty quick start. She stood up for the date. We introduced Brenda and her woes. And then Chris's mom is like, yo, want to babysit? And she's like, I'm too old to babysit. Which is true. She's 24. So... It's <laughs> Which is true. true. Her it's boyfriend's pretty funny, been actually. held back
1: 10 years of school. <laughs> <laughs> He's finishing up his doctorate in senior year of high school. In this house, just before we leave the house, I do love... First of all, her younger brother, Brad, who's supposed to be like 15, is like cooking he's making dinner and i just like for an 80s movie first of all showing a teenager cooking is progressive enough like not like a joke like he's actually making a meal but it's a boy it's a teenage boy making dinner for like people in the house and like i thought that was kind of a cool shot it's small and fast but like i don't see it in most places in the 80s
0: yeah yeah we get kind of the intro brad's making some food sarah right. is on her roller skates in the
1: house zipping around causing mischief I love the quick glimpse in Sarah's room that she's got a My Pet Monster in there. Just another 80s oh. toy icon. There's a My Pet Monster in the chair, which is pretty rad.
0: There was such a Thorgasm in her room, <laughs> I did not realize no.
1: anything unThor thor was in there. It's all Thor all the time, which we did skip that in production. Do you want to talk about Thor getting into this movie? Yeah, so
0: basically the idea was Sarah had an obsession, and when Chris Columbus came along, he decided to... Make it Thor, because he was into Marvel Comics, and he liked the idea of the character. Um, but before that, Ben, oh my what God. could have been her obsession Oh my if God. Chris Columbus hadn't changed the script?
1: So <laughs> the screenwriter Simpkins says, originally, she had a crush on Dan Rather. That she was supposed to be a news junkie originally, and then they changed it to her having a crush on the Chicago Bears. Yeah. And Jeffrey Katzenberg said, no, everyone loves sports in these movies so she's not going to stand out if she loves sports so then they tried comic book characters they tried spider-man no way and marvel said here's this thor guy you can you can take him and do whatever you want with him." it also had her to a shout out to one of our other episodes at one point she was into he-man and she-ra yes but old man chris columbus didn't know who the heck those two characters were
0: (laughs) yeah so he-man was i think what it was By the time Columbus came along and then switched it out. So you're right. It kind of went through all these different iterations. What's so funny, though, is that probably worked out very much in their favor because Masters of the Universe comes out in the same year, which was this pop of a movie, that terrible, terrible live action movie that came out that we talked about in our He-Man episode. So I think it worked out. But it was also a gamble. Thor was not a known character at this time. Nobody knew who Thor was unless you were a
1: Marvel Comics fanatic. Right. I mean, according to what I saw, it wasn't until the year after this movie came out, 1988, there's a Hulk movie, and Thor is in that Hulk movie. Mm. And it's sort of like his first official Marvel live-action movie, which sort of makes Adventures in Babysitting Thor's first live-action appearance. Maybe. Kind of. I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. We need to come back to that.
0: Yeah, so what else? We're at the house. We're getting introduced to the parents. They're going off to some event at this building in downtown Chicago, We get it that Brad has a crush on Chris, to Sarah's delight. She loves to tease him about it. But they get into a little quibble because she stole his clearasil to use as paint for one of her Thor
1: pictures. She's great, though. Like The kid is introduced so funny, so sassy, so witty, so many jokes. Like She is a fantastic (laughs) child in this movie. Thankfully, one of the only people cast as their age.
0: Yes, Maya steals the scenes she's in. She is fantastic. Besides Brenda, Sarah is like my other MVP. Again, in a movie that I would say doesn't really have a bad apple in the bunch. But my goodness, you have two uh, just comedic powerhouses in these two actors. It's so good. And yeah, Maya's young. I can't tell. She's maybe like, what, 10, 11, maybe? Yeah, somewhere around there. But like her screen presence is just Amazing. She's got a lot of, like, just charisma. And, like, her smile, her mischievous smile. Yes! So good. So they get an altercation and basically, you know, oh, Brad not only has a crush on Chris, but he kind of admits it unknowingly as she walks in the door. And I love the fact that, like, they make a comment about this, like, coat that she's wearing it's like a, what would you call it? It's not like a trench coat necessarily, but it's
1: like a different fabric. Well, the beats were great because while we're watching it, Mrs. Ben says, Chris dresses like she's 40 years old. and yeah. then, But then immediately, almost after, she explains that it's like, was her grandpa's jacket. And so then it kind of makes sense.
0: Which I thought that was like a fun little tidbit. I don't it's know why charming. I like that so much. Like it's it's unexpected. It's unnecessary. They never come back to it. It's not like a useful bit, but it's like just a little bit of like, characterization of right. who she is. A, yes, it tells
1: you a lot about who she is in a very yeah. small way. It's great. I love it.
0: So basically, yeah, we we get the whole setup that, you know, parents are leaving, you can go for ice cream, blah, 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 and they're out the door. And uh, we're pretty quickly introduced to another great presence on the screen, neighbor Daryl, a <laughs> friend of Brad's. Oh, my, this f- creep. This guy. <laughs> like you Freaking said, little Darryl. horrible. <laughs> He's such, oh, my God. God, this kid. It's so great. He's not a natural strawberry blonde, apparently. They dyed his hair. No, uh, he's, really? Anthony Rapp is blonde. He's just, oh just pure God, blonde. But they dyed awesome. his hair for this.
1: But it looks like he, I, I thought he was a redhead. Like, totally. His level of hormones in this would have made a lot of sense if he had also been cast in Weird Science. I
0: could see him yes. in Weird Science.
1: 100% Weird Science. Oh, my God. Goodness gracious, this kid. But apparently, oh, that's it. One of the reasons they dyed his hair is they thought he looked too much like Michael Anthony Hall. Oh, I can see that. I see that a little bit. Yeah, that's I I forgot
0: that little tidbit. That's why they had him dye his hair. It's it's got a a little similarity. Close enough. I see it. Listen, we're already basically making a John Hughes movie. It's set in Chicago. <laughs> it's kids on an adventure. It's the most John Hughes, non-John Hughes movie that probably that's, exists that's from really, the 80s. That's a really good point. Yeah. Daryl has one of my favorite intros of a character. No, oh my God. There's a knock on the window. Brad pulls the curtain back, and he does a thing where you, like, blow against the glass in your mouth. You're right. like a puffer fish. Your mouth just, like... <laughs> and that always cracked me up as a kid and again he's just right off the bat so crass he's like already hitting on chris to brad and brad's just like go home (laughs) daryl
1: yeah go home daryl so what happens next we're uh basically oh brenda calls right right so brenda calls she's run away from home uh she doesn't have any money for the train Or a cab? She's at a bus station, and she basically has no money to get home
0: through any means of public – not planes, not trains, not automobiles – can get
1: her home. So Elizabeth Shue has her mom's car. She's talked into going to get her. She's like, oh, God, okay, you're my bestie. I'm going to make this work with the kids in my ward. And then, of course, we get
0: two great scenes in this phone call. The whole time she's talking to Chris, she's in a phone booth in the bus station – Get out of my house. It's the old school phone booth where there's a sliding door, kind of the folding right. door. So she's in this and there's an old man lurking outside who keeps pounding on the door. Get out of my house! Is so good. <laughs> my favorite line of hers comes up at this point where the guy's like, get out of my house! And she just like throws the door open. Oh, that's right. He's got a pair of slippers and like a Fruit. toiletry bag or something, right, like a little right. bag. Uh, She kicks him out the door and she's like, you just moved. And she slams the door in his face. The way that Penelope delivers that line, you just moved. is like one of my favorite lines from a movie ever. It's so amazing. Just the way she says it. You just moved. (laughs) I always got a kick out of that. I still do. And then, of course, there's, like, the man in the background who's, like, weirdly making all these faces at her. And he just opens his trench coat and, like, shows her a gun. It's like, what's
1: going on? This bus station is terrifying. It's so good. I mean, I've caught the bus several times. I've taken greyhounds before. You know, it's never been this creepy. This is a terrifying bus station. She's like, he's got a gun. He's going to kill somebody.
0: Maybe me. And then she hangs up on Chris.
1: Right, that's not, helping. <laughs> that's not helping anybody, Brenda. Come on now.
0: Obviously, Chris is like, I, I have to go rescue Brenda. And there's this whole argument about, do we all go or whatever? And Sarah basically convinces Chris, like, you need to take us into the city. You can't leave us here alone. You're supposed to be our babysitter. So they got to go. Everybody's got to settle up. They got to go. But on the way out the door, who catches them? But good old Daryl, he's
1: back. Oh, my God, this
0: girl basically is like trying to bribe them into going and it introduces one of his little catchphrases where he says something goes, you think? Oh, yeah, it's really smooth. It's good. I like it. We're off. We're on the expressway to Chicago from the burbs into the big city. Ben, you had issues apparently at this point.
1: Just on this issue, like, this expressway is not Chicago's expressway. There are people who are allowing space between other cars. There are people <laughs> using turn signals. There are people driving the speed limit. Chicago is not as bad as Boston. In anywhere in the world, I've been in a car. Boston is the most afraid I've ever been in a car. But okay. Chicago, as someone as myself who drives a motorcycle and, a, and a, a five-speed pickup truck and lots of different automatic vehicles... Chicago is incredibly stressful because people, like, speeding, cutting each other off out of nowhere, and there's a cop every half mile, and you don't know if you might be doing something wrong or not, you never know. It's hard to tell, what are the rules driving around Chicago because no one's following what's posted. So not only that, but at night while she drives around the city, there are no other cars on the road. Where is all the traffic? Every block in Chicago crawls like a parking lot every night. This is not Chicago streets. I don't know what's happening.
0: Well, we learned on Instagram today that we have a loyal listener in Mexico. We hope you're listening. Yeah. Uh, who reached out to us, which is great. And for the 50 to 100 listeners uh, from Chicago that we just lost, um, <laughs> we're sad to see you go. Ben's views are his own and do not necessarily reflect the views of 80 Side Podcast. So... <laughs> We hope you'll stick
1: around despite all of this slander, slander most foul. I'm just insane. It's just, it's not, the city's too clean. It's too nice. It's operating too smoothly. There's not enough trash on the streets. There's not enough dirt bags on the highway. Oh my gosh. I appreciate you listening to me. That's everything I've said. This You're is good. good. <laughs> You're coming out hot against my Chicago. God. Who knew? Who knew? This is
0: also one of the great scenes because she's telling the... Again, another babysitter story. The whole Right. The babysitter, you know, the the hand on the door, the scrape, scrape, scraping on the door, and there's the hook hand there. That great urban legend, like classic eighties urban legend. I yeah. swear after the eighties, no one told this story ever again. But it's just like a time capsule back. Sure. It's that and the whole like the babysitter, or the calls coming from inside the house, like that whole urban legend. Oh my gosh. So good. Uh, but this is when the tiger goes out, and they have the near-death experience. My favorite part, Sarah's like, this is great! Daryl is cackling like a madman. Right, great. Right. Chris is terrified, Brad's terrified, and these two nuts are just having the time of their lives. If that doesn't tell you enough about these characters, I don't know what does.
1: Then the tow truck driver pulls over to help them. Yeah. There's two parts of this I like that I, I, I'm confused about, and also I'm disappointed in. Okay. One... Have you ever pulled over to help, like, a stranded vehicle? Or has anyone ever pulled over to help you on the side of the highway? I have been
0: distressed on a highway before in a couple different instances. I don't believe anyone
1: stopped for me. Right. I don't know that I've been in a position to stop for others. If you got out of a vehicle to help someone else on the side of the highway, what might be, like, one of the first things you say as you approach that distressed vehicle? Need any help? Yeah, sure, exactly. Are you guys okay? Hi, do you need any help? No, this truck driver climbs out of his truck and creepily whistles while he walks slowly at them in the dark. He's also whistling the soundtrack. Did you notice that? Oh, like, no. What that's a great whistling catch. A... No way. Like, he's I totally whistling missed that.
0: the soundtrack music, which is, again, just another little thing that I thought was so funny. I'm like, he's actually whistling along with the, that's the movie. That's pretty good.
1: That's pretty good.
0: I think we've learned from spy tech commercials that only villains whistle while they're right, doing something. Right.
1: Now, it's a little unfortunate when he reveals that he has a claw for a hand, a prosthetic, that all the kids scream. It's a little ableist. It's a little unfortunate. That wouldn't happen today. It was, well, it was, it was slightly they, they just kind of heard a about a hook hand murdering somebody. Yeah, scream, I guess there's some timeliness with the story. That helps a little bit. I um, No, but the real, the real surprise nerd dig on here is I was like, man, you think of like Family Vacation, this movie, the station wagon was like the staple 80s family vehicle.
0: It was the SUV of the 80s.
1: Yeah, but now you rarely see them. So I had to look up. I was curious. So in 1984, Chrysler and Renault debuted a big sliding door on the side of a van Mm. and did a heavy marketing campaign. And by the end of the 80s, minivan production had outpaced station wagon production. Yeah, the Aerostar, the Astro. Yes. Oh, yeah. So that's why in like the 90s and beyond, it's all vans. But early 80s and before, it's all station wagons.
0: Yeah, minivan. That was like a big advent. I remember small SUVs being like the Bronco and the, oh God, what was that called? Blazer. The Blazer. The Blazer,
1: totally. Like yes!
0: those were like, oh, it's a it's an SUV, but it's small. What the heck? What's an SUV? Like, yeah, it was kind of wild. Do you have anything about this scene you want to get into? Well, I mean, the one thing I do want to say, yes, they do react poorly to the the hook hand, but they they very quickly like warm up to him. And like Chris even shakes his hand. Like she shakes it and she doesn't do it in like a, ew, kind of a way. She's just like, it's nice to meet you, sir. She's always the
1: hero. She's the best.
0: Sure. They did not have a great first reaction. They're kids. They came around. It was never a joke again. They weren't picking on him anymore. So like,
1: I thought it was earnest enough. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I they they do come back around, but once so they're gonna he's gonna give them a ride somewhere. But doesn't he stop off at his house to like find his cheating wife?
0: He sure does, because he gets a, a call on the CB from his boss Dawson. There's that guy over at your house with your wife, right? So
1: Mrs. Ben has the catch of the episode, I think, oh, which is amazing. Okay, so when the tow truck driver tears into the front yard of his house. He smashes into a jockey lawn ornament holding a Oh, that's right. That's right. And again, this movie comes out in 87, and it's a Chris Columbus movie. Three years later, he does Home Alone, which is the running gag that people keep hitting the jockey lawn ornament in the front of the house. Great catch. She called that out and I was like, wow, good for you. I didn't even see that. That was awesome. Now, did she know when
0: you were doing this that this is both Chris Columbus movie and that he had done Home Alone? No, she had not So she just noticed it. She was like, oh my God,
1: that same, I think that same jockey gets hit in Home Alone. And I was like, it's the same dude who makes both movies. Wow. 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 Great catch, Mrs. Ben. I love that. I was really impressed by that.
0: Yeah, this is like a crazy scene of like domestic violence and a fight, there's a gunshot. These poor Chris's kids. car window gets shot out cause Pruitt has a gun in the glove box. Uh he does have this great line to uh Brad where it's either Brad or Daryl, where it's like, "What happened to your hand?" And he's telling the story, and he's like, "What'd you do with the hand after it was, you know, severed or whatever?" He's like, "I kept it. It's in the glove box." <laughs> <And> it's <laughs> That's just really like, funny. That was and good. they're like looking over at the glove box, but what we learned is really in there is a gun. This is a good joke. I like that. My favorite part is they tear out of there, right. and you just see this like most ridiculous fight scene between them where they're basically like politely exchanging punches with each other right i'm gonna hit you and pause so that you can hit me it's almost like turn-based combat (laughs) it's great i thought it was so comical i was like yeah not great choreography columbus no not a strong point but anyway oh that's right they get into a car that is boosted by this is where we meet joe yeah yeah joe yeah, so they, they jump into the car and Joe's hot wiring it and they're they're realizing they've gotten to the car for the carjacker and uh
1: everyone is like oh shockingly kind of cool about it. Like they kinda they're like oh they know it's uncomfortable. Did but you, you see like this weird. man
0: smile? Did you see his dimples? What I would a immediately charming be like smile. Joe. <laughs> yes, sweetheart, heart of gold. Yes, you're a car thief, but you don't do it for the wrong reasons. You do it just to <laughs> you don't do,
1: it for you the do wrong what you gotta reasons. do
0: to to make it in the the trash filled streets of Chicago. So, <laughs> yes, so good. And maybe he's so good at his job that's why there's not enough cars on the expressway, Ben. Maybe he's just too good pulling a man carjacking, taking a in, getting him chopped up. Yeah. So I mean, basically, they have a little conversation with Joe. They realize, you know. He's not going to harm them. And basically, Chris is like, you promise you're not going to hurt these kids? And he's like, yeah, I promise. And, you know, you you believe him and it's true. But he has to go to work. You know, he's on the clock. He's on the clock. Uh, His boss is not forgiving if he shows up five minutes late. Because, of course, it's this guy with the best villain voice ever. Take the pretty bunch upstairs. Oh, uh, it's
1: well done. Very good. Love this guy. Love this guy. This chop shop, Chris, I've got just really one big question is how do they employ... So many people like I saw like Gone in 60 Seconds, right? With like Nicolas Cage, they steal a gazillion cars to make a total boatload of money. But I feel like in every movie, when you see an underground chop shop, it's like four or five dudes. And that's all who's running the operation. Yeah. This one chop shop employs more people than a Walmart. Like, and they only have like maybe six cars they're working on. Like, how are all these dudes employed? At
0: this moment that you know of, we don't know what was just off screen, Ben. There could have been 50 cars. This is a well-oiled machine. <laughs> that man does not mess around. They were fulfilling orders nationwide. You heard him talking. I don't like how they do business there. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, is right? This- <laughs>
1: Right, right. He's, I got to tell you, man, like it's a subtle thing. It's like Shu saying like, oh, this was my grandpa's jacket. We really need to respect the business acumen of this chop shop because like they are, they're putting food on like 50 families plates with all these cars. It's very impressive.
0: Yeah. And basically this is the whole scene where they're put up in the office while this whole business is going down. Joe's in trouble. With Graydon and Bleak because, you know, he brought these kids to their less than legal line of work, if one might say. Their business that's perhaps, you know, not registered with the Better Business Bureau. So, hi, hi, hi. But uh, this is the great scene where basically they have to escape and they're walking on the beam in the ceiling. It's that whole great scene where they're trying to make the escape because they know uh, if they stick around, it's not going to be a happy ending for our protagonists. There's some good lines here because... Yeah. Daryl's kind of scared at this point. He's got a great line here where he's like, You gotta be crapping me. But he says the other word. And then Chris is like, Watch your mouth. He's like, Watch my mouth. You gotta be crapping me. Because he's (laughs) basically like, We're gonna die. And you want me to like clean up my language? Come on, man. Right. And he's like, Read the room. What if I fall? And Sarah, in all earnestness, turns around. She's like, I won't let you fall. And it's just like, Oh. It was just really sweet because <laughs> normally she's picking on this guy, but you know, they just, it was a very nice little, you know, tone and uh, they're basically getting out of there. Now, at this point, we haven't mentioned the Playboy. Right, right. That comes up time and again. The Playboy is basically the MacGuffin of this movie. Right. Daryl brings it over at the beginning of the movie because there's a centerfold
1: that looks like Chris. Right. This is a Playboy magazine. We're not talking about like a Playboy who dates around a little bit. This is a, a physical publication. Indeed. This is the the
0: magazine that people have for the articles. For <laughs> the articles. Yeah. Right. So basically the centerfold, I think her name is Shailene in the movie, looks like Chris. And actually, you know, they did have Elizabeth Shue like pose. I mean, they're non-nude photos in case you're curious, but basically she does- Pose for those because, I mean, this woman looks a lot like uh, Elizabeth Shue. And for good reason. It's uh, it's actually her that posed.
1: And in the same year when Shue does an interview for the LA Times, she said, please emphasize that I did not take my clothes off for the playboy shoot. (laughs) Please, please, please. Yeah.
0: So basically, Daryl has this magazine, shows it to Brad – They almost get caught with it. So Brad throws it out of the car onto the expressway and they lose it. And Daryl's ticked off about it. Well, when they're up in this office at the chop shop, he basically finds this same issue of the playboy. So he grabs it and they're off with it. But what we don't realize is uh, for some reason, Bleak, has written an order for a chop shop in a Playboy magazine, like he's used it as a notebook. Right. As you do. What? I mean, maybe because they have so many people hired, all of their profit margin is on labor and they can't afford office supplies. So maybe, you know, they just, they have to be resourceful, Ben. I don't know. Maybe you've, you've (laughs) found the reason why. I don't know. But again, this is the whole MacGuffin. They have to chase them down because it's, really the playboy that they're after they need that order and also like right. if it's if it's shown somewhere their their business is blown and they could go to jail and do hard time right we we, we get some of this in their dialogue yeah. so basically now we have these two criminals and poor joe and tow uh chasing our intrepid protagonists
1: yeah which joe never seems to like for most of the movie like throw them off neither help he's just sort of like these are my bosses i gotta go along for the ride here
0: I am. He's got this great scene where like he sees them up in the rafters and he's just like, you can see this amused look on his face where, right. again, right. to your point, you know, he's rooting for them, but he can't be like visibly helping them. He just kind of has to sit there and be right. cool and not give it off. But, you know, you can see him kind of cheering them on silently Yeah, uh, yeah up yeah. at them in the rafters. So it's great. And basically they're out, but the chase continues. They're uh, running through the
1: streets. And where do we end up next, Ben. Well, we know it's Elizabeth Shue's favorite scene, maybe from her entire career, as she said, but it's one of the greatest scenes in the movie where they end up in the blues club. And remember, Roger Ebert, not impressed with this movie, but he did love this scene. He did love this scene. Uh, Where the kids, and not just into a blues club, but they run out like on stage. They somehow get through like the back door, like the green room. And they're suddenly on stage while this group is performing. And then this is where Albert Collins, musician, singer, guitarist.
0: Again, another guy with a great voice. Nobody leaves here without singing a blues. It's either very charming or very cheesy, depending on how you look at it. I see it as charming. I could see how people would find it cheesy. They do a musical number. They're singing babysitting blues. Dun, 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 dun. You know, it's that right, like right. classic hook of a blue song. And then Chris is just kind of riffing off of it, telling the story of uh, the woes of the evening.
1: Right, and I love how the kids like sort of evolve from like being terrified that they're on stage, yeah, to like they all start dancing and kind of like like grooving along yeah. with it. They get like a little like coordinated dance going on. I'm rocking for all our listeners back at home. But this scene was not in the original draft of the script. Did you see how this scene came to be? No, tell us that story. So screenwriter Simpkins says, and this is his story quote, it's kind of long, but I'll get through it. Chris Columbus said to me early on, as these kids are running around, escaping from these bad guys, I want them to run into a blues bar and stop to sing a song. And I was like, are you nuts? There's no way to do that. (laughs) And Chris said, figure it out. So weeks go by and he knocks on my door and he says, how's that scene going? And I said, oh, it's not. I really don't want to do it. I don't understand that scene. I don't know how it happens, why they're being forced to sing on stage. So Chris looked at me and said, it's a house rule. They don't leave the stage until they sing the blues. I wish I could take credit for that, but that's Chris's idea. It's pretty cool, right? Like Chris is like, I don't know why, but Chris is like, they got to go to a blues bar and sing blues. Like it
0: doesn't make sense, but somehow it does work, right? Like it makes no sense, but you're like, okay, well, this is the rules of where they are right now. And of course, it's funny at the end, the great button is after they sing their number and they're like dancing off stage. The goons, the bad guys, come oh my in God, yeah. and are also on stage. And of course, no one leaves here without singing a blues. And you're like, you could just imagine what song these two exactly. sing together. That's, that's the director's
1: <laughs> cut I want to see is what the goons Great. sing about to get off stage. I had that here too. I love that. The other thing, I did read somewhere else that Chris Columbus was like really impressed with the blues scene in Chicago that was going on in the 70s and the early 80s. And he just really wanted to bring attention to it. And this was sort of like the way to showcase Chicago's blues scene.
0: And I don't know if Albert Collins was a Chicago-based musician. I think he was, but I I don't know
1: for certain. This is slight contemporary culture, but it's so relevant now. I'm just going to say it. I have been in this situation. Years ago, I was out with friends in Chicago, and we found ourselves in a bar, much like this one. Okay. And professional musicians took a break, and there was a time for karaoke, and somebody put my name in with another friend (laughs) to (laughs) sing Aretha Franklin's R-E-S-P-E-C-T to that audience. Okay. And we did it. Yes, And thank God this was a time before phones could record video. <laughs> no one gave us a hard time. Some people even applauded us for our attempt. But boy, howdy, was that an uncomfortable song. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I
0: remember being called on stage for karaoke as a group, thankfully, to sing Right Said Fred's Too Sexy. Oh my God. I'm too yes. sexy for yes. my shirt. So sexy it hurts. That's Woo. amazing. And once again, I'm glad there was nobody with a phone and it didn't no. show up on Instagram or TikTok or any of that crap because, oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, so after they're off stage, they're celebrating. This is where they go onto the L. This is where they're getting onto the, the train. But who do they run into but two rival gangs?
1: Yeah, and I'll point out, like, Adventures in Babysitting is also episodic of, like, the the band of, of motley heroes are encountering different unique challenges throughout Chicago, but they are connected together much better than The Labyrinth. Like, The Labyrinth is also random encounters, but they make no sense together. I wanted to talk
0: about that because I was like, as I was sitting here breaking this movie down, like, what are, like, set piece after set piece kind of, you know, chase right. we're doing. And I was like, that's a lot like Labyrinth, which I criticized. But for some reason, it worked better. And I don't know why. Is it because it had the internal understanding of like a chase through a major city in the United States versus this like fantastical world we don't understand with pooping (laughs) logs and uh, little
1: worms on walls, guys who turn over paving stones. I don't know. The kids are more charming than puppets, right? So we're more emotionally invested in the children that they're going to make it out okay. But also like, I think there's just a more logical connection between each scene. Like it makes sense how the kids are being ferried from each encounter. Where, like, Labyrinth was just like, oh, I ran down the labyrinth this way and I turned a corner and here was this thing now. Like, you know, it's a little little disjointed. The event on the L, I've got two takeaways for. Because right at the end, kind of two rival gangs, they're right in the middle. There's some really good stuff I'm going to leave to you to talk about. But the one thing I want to throw out is one gang all has, like, red jackets and vests. Yeah. And I think, maybe, I could not find this written anywhere, but I think it might be a tribute to 1979's The Warriors, It's also about two uh, warring street gangs in in a city, but like one whole faction only wears like red leather vests and red Hmm. jackets. And these guys look a lot like the Warriors from 1979. I don't know for sure.
0: See, I thought it was an homage to Michael Jackson uh, Beat It, where you got the two two rival gangs in the warehouse. That
1: makes a lot of sense. Or the, the Sharks and the Jets, I don't know. Oh, but yeah. If they were snapping, maybe it could be sharks. That's and right. I don't know. The only other thing I have for this scene, and I, you're going to have much more colorful detail here, is uh, Mrs. Ben, who has spent a tremendous amount of time on the L, said an encounter like this on the L would have gone so, so, so much worse <laughs> than, than how it goes in the movie. Uh, but how's it go down? Because there's, there's some heroic moments here that are pretty great. I mean, there's so much great stuff in this. You know, you got
0: basically the two rival gangs are coming up on each other. Caught in the middle is our crew. And, you know, they're basically, it's a turf war. And they've got this great back and forth where it's like, there goes Jefferson. There goes Jackson. Here comes Devereaux. And basically, like, yeah. that's the dividing line. They're going to be caught in the middle of this battle royale uh, between these gangs. You know, Chris is basically like, hey, guys, can you just stop? And the one gang leader is like, sit down, witch. But he doesn't say that word, of course. And so then good. Brad kind of steps in to be like, hey, you big city scum sucker whatever. Right, He's right. like, trash talking this guy. And the guy's like, you better watch your mouth, Brad. And he throws his knife right into the shoe. Right. Like Brad shoots, stabs him in the foot.
1: Which the uh, special effect is just shot in reverse, right? I think they pull on a line or something, they pull the knife out of his shoe. Yeah, I guess I didn't quite understand why. I mean it
0: looked fine. I don't know why they did it in reverse. Couldn't like not they just, just have a shoe, shoe with Wait. no bu- exactly, like no one's right. foot in it? Like it was kinda interesting they shot that in reverse. Like I didn't quite understand why. Why overcomplicate this? And then the guy delivers the one of the best lines, don't funk with the Lords of Hell. Yeah, that was pretty good. And again, I'm censoring my words here for Very our podcast.
1: Good. The Lords of Hell
0: basically rips the knife out of the shoe, probably re-injures Brad in the process. She brandishes the knife in this guy's face is like, don't funk with the babysitter. And basically everyone's like, ooh. And Sarah has the best face. Like her response to this is amazing. It's a gif as it should be. As it should be. And then he's like, all right, baby, chill, chill. And basically she's like brandishing this knife around till they can get off at the next stop. And this is where we we rush Brad to the hospital where he gets his one stitch and there's a mix up and the doctor tells him he's dead. Oh yeah, he's dead. And they're all like,
1: what? He was just fine. It's like the stab
0: wound because someone's like, there's a patient with the stab wound died. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, your friend is dead. And everyone's like freaking out. And then Brad shows up. And then there's a great line from Daryl where he hugs him. And he's like, Brad, don't you ever die on me.
2: And he's oh, like, yeah. okay.
0: Right. okay. That was good. Was I like a, that too. Cute little scene. But then, this is where we catch back up with Brenda and what she's been going through so far.
1: Christopher, there are some of my. What's Brenda been going through? These are some of my favorite lines in the whole movie. They were literal LOLs from me. Oh my God. Watching this scene. What's Brenda
0: been through so far? So she's already evicted a man from a phone booth. Yeah. Uh, A guy's basically like cackling and showing her a gun. What else happens to her?
1: Well, there's two lines here that I love. One is like this other person in the bus stop steals her glasses while she's like yeah. not paying attention. And so she can't see very well.
0: A quick side note, by the way, they're sitting at these chairs that have like TVs attached oh, right. to them, Thank like you. small yes. TVs. And the song that's playing is the theme song to the Brady Bunch, which we already heard Bleak refer to the group as the Brady Bunch. So oh, just like a fun little quick little tie in.
1: I'm glad you said that because I thought it was just cool that like you'd be in a bus stop and all the chairs would have their own individual TV. Like this is obviously way before you could stream stuff on your phone when you're just hanging out. So it's just, it's a good like callback to the times. So blind Brenda is like, walking back towards like the vending machines and she hears like a little like animal noise and she's going she's crouched down she's very sweet here kitty kitty and you know like what's probably about to happen yeah you're like oh this ain't a kitty and they're like these two sanitation workers (laughs) who are like watching her laughing you don't see what she's getting and she picks it up and she's like petting it and they're like put the animal down yeah right right we're gonna kill it right how could you kill this thing like and so you find out it's a it's a he's like that's a huge rat and she like screams that's a jumbo sized sewer rat that's yeah. what was, thank you uh but just the here kitty kitty and just knowing what's coming i thought that was so funny because like
0: you're seeing it through her eyes so like the camera's out of focus it's blurry she's petting something soft and white right. and, you know you're like oh it's a little kitty cat she found at the bus stop but you're like but it's not a cat we do we we no. don't know what it is it's not a cat it's a jumbo size sewer rat. Oh my god,
1: so good. And then, what else happens to poor Brenda? We're not done yet. Well, the only other bus up joke that I'm sure was hilarious when you were a kid is, like, she's very hungry, and she wants... There's a hot dog vendor, and she wants a hot dog, but she has no money, and the hot dog vendor is like, uh, you know, you can't buy a uh, hot dog without, a, you know, money. So, they, But he yells the line, Then I don't have a wiener! And I'm sure if you were a kid watching this movie, an adult yelling, Then I don't have a wiener, was hilarious.
0: No, you have to get the entire exchange down, first off. And oh, also, please. how dare you? I think it's hilarious and I'm an adult. So shut your
1: face. Shut <laughs> <Set> your judgmental <laughs> face, Benjamin. Okay, tell me about your childlike sense of humor. They're
0: having this argument because she's trying to pay with a check. She's got a check oh, from, like, Chris's right. mom or whatever. Right. And so she she has this whole great dialogue I won't get back into, but she's explaining where the check came from as if this guy gives a crap. Like, she's going on this whole tirade. And basically, he's like, I work on a cash-only basis. And she's like, it's a good check. I'm going to starve. You're going to throw it out. He's oh, like, I'll make yeah. this very clear. You slip me the cash, and I'll slip you the waiter." And she goes, I don't have any cash. He goes, then I don't have a waiter." Oh, yeah, that, thank It's you. very funny. It's it's hilarious. It's much more, yeah. Um, but some people, snooty, judgmental elitists are going to sit there and say, as a child, maybe this is humorous. <laughs> but as an adult, I have a more refined sense of humor. You hobgoblin. How dare you? It's, it's true. funny. It's funny.
1: I got a huge laugh out of here at Kitty Kitty. I did not get a huge laugh out of that I don't have a wiener. But I could see, you know, what sort of brain would find that funny. And, you know, it's it's holding up. This it's guy.
0: <laughs> this guy. This, this jerk store. Oh, uh, man. Okay. So I think this is where we kind of leave Brenda for now. This poor woman has been through all sorts of misery. We run into Pruitt again magically at the hospital and basically he's like i'll fix the window that's my fault but you gotta pay dawson 50 bucks for the tire this is where we learned that 50 dollars in 1987 oh my is the most is insane meanwhile i can now go to taco bell down the street and spend 50 dollars on easily. a Crunchwrap supreme so <laughs> easily <laughs> i live near one of the apparently the one of the most expensive taco bells in the country so Basically two Crunchwrap Supremes and I've, I've paid for a tire in 1987. Oh my God. God, now I want Taco Bell. I want a Crunchwrap Supreme. It sounds really good. This has been
1: 80s High, everybody. Peace out. We've got to go get fourth meal.
0: So this is where the, I think the movie, I'll be honest, lags a little bit. We're kind of at this point in the movie where I'm like, okay, what happens next? This is where they basically end up at the frat house. Yeah, that sounds about right. Like they've run away. Sarah has to go to the bathroom. So they find this party going on. And we have this like, we're at this frat house for, it feels like maybe 10 minutes of the movie. Maybe it's not that long. But this definitely feels like pumping the brakes. What'd you think about this scene?
1: Yeah, it's a big slowdown. You know, also, like, it's just unfair that frat houses had live bands all the time in the 80s. Like, every movie, they've got a sick live band entertaining everybody. I mean, on Mighty Mighty Boss Tones was playing in uh, Clueless. Remember? Like, they go to that party, and it's frickin' Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Totally. 100%. We're like, you know, from my personal experience of having lived in a fraternity house for a long time, like, you just put your phone on the speakers. Like, you could never get a live band. That's money. College kids don't have money. Like, what are you talking about right now? But then she meets an individual who is interested in helping them.
0: Yeah, this is where the love interest I mentioned earlier comes into play. This is Dan. Right. Dan's the very nice guy that's basically helping them out. There's a whole thing. There's some frat guys who think Chris is Shailene and he's basically like, idiots, what would a Playboy Centerfold be doing at our dumb, dumb college party? Use your brain. Right. Daryl has an encounter. Brad's still jealous because he's still pining for Chris uh, now he sees Dan come in, and we get a little bit of business. But again, this is just kind of a slow point. We hear a couple songs from Southside
1: Johnny, Southside Johnny. Which you mentioned this about Brad pining for Chris. I mean, did you know that that Coogan actually had like a real crush on Shu during this movie? I mean, listen, who wouldn't? She was electric, so good. She destroys him. So the two of them went out for dinner, like during the filming of this movie. And he brought up the idea of like, hey, maybe, maybe we should like start to date. What do you think? Oh boy! And Coogan says, "Quote." Then Shu laughed in my face, and that's exactly the laugh she does in the movie. She totally crushed my heart, and I took that with me for the entire movie. When the frat boy rescues her in the movie, I was very jealous and felt very possessive of her. Ooh, right? Ouch. On screen,
0: off screen, uh,
1: forbidden love.
0: This is almost like, remember we were talking about like Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Michael Keaton were like divorced, but they had to play like love interests in the Batman Returns. It's almost like that. Like these actors who are clearly using, I don't know, their own life to kind of either aid them in a scene or they just have to act their way through the discomfort of being near somebody that's caused them a lot of distress. I don't know. It's just, it's kind of wild. Oh my gosh. So funny. Channel your pain, Keith. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. <sighs> okay, so finally they're getting out of there and Dan's going to drive them to Dawson's Tire Shop. And this is where the Lower Wacker Drive comes in. They're driving yeah. through the city and we get Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. It's a good soundtrack. It is such an eerie song. It sets perfectly against this like quiet nighttime in Chicago. Like it's, it's late. Nobody's on the street. They're going down in a tunnel and you just hear that. Aah! And it's just so eerie. Daryl's like, "This is weird." Chris like, "You're weird," and then he just starts cracking up. It's so funny,
1: but I don't know why that.
0: uh, I always get chills when I hear that song and see that part of the movie.
1: Yeah, it's a good music choice. I like I like the soundtrack of this movie a lot. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. It's a vibe.
0: They're vibing on their way to the show. Now, Ben, when I rewatched this movie, like I said a couple years ago, I was blown away when they finally get to Dawson's garage, and he looks like Thor.
1: And he's played by a young Vincent D'Onofrio. Were you not blown away that the car has been fixed in a matter of like three hours? That's not what blew you away? Maybe it is my underdeveloped,
0: childlike sense of humor uh, that finds wiener jokes hilarious uh, that I did not think of such an adult thing as how quickly a car
1: is repaired. Never crossed my mind.
0: I didn't realize this is Vincent D'Onofrio, and I was like, "Holy crap!"
1: Yeah, he looks amazing in this.
0: I remember him from Men in Black; he's Great. Edgar. Yeah, we've all done this before, where we see an actor that we know very well now, but it's like before they broke it big, and they're in like they're super young, and they're in a mood. like Jim Carrey, and once bitten, you're like, "He's a he's a baby. He's a yeah. kid. This is pre and living color." I had that same moment with Vincent D'Onofrio. Again, the dude is buff AF. He also looked like seven and a half feet tall. He looks giant. I don't know if they had lifts in his boots. Yeah, I I was trying to see his boots if there were lifts or not. And he has the best entrance. He's like on those like things that lift a car up. And basically he like lowers down on that thing. There's like steam and like fog rolling out and he's holding a giant hammer. And he's got this like mane of blonde hair. So immediately Sarah's like, it's Thor, you know, and she like kneels to him and like says a little like greeting and a genuflect. And of course he's like, what's wrong with this kid? Basically Dawson's kind of a jerk. He's basically like, you slip me the 50 bucks, I'll slip you a car. They're like, well, we got $45. He's like, I don't have a car. Not the line, but that's basically the gist of it. right. And Sarah's basically like, you're a hero. You're supposed to help people. And he's like, kid, I don't know who you're talking about, but like, my love language is money. And if you want to get out of here, you're going to give me my (laughs) $48 or whatever they have is not enough. I need two more dollars or you can just GTFO. What finally wins him over is she's like, I know why you're not yourself. You don't have your helmet. And she gives him the helmet and this... Charms and disarms. It's very sweet. surly, Mr. Dawson. He's like, You're going to give me this? And finally, he kind of comes around, uh, his heart softens, and basically lets him get out of there with their car.
1: Yeah, well, and I think this, is, scene. this is a good scene because it also finally puts Brad in his place. Because in the beginning of the movie, to get under his sister's skin, he keeps telling Sarah that Thor's a homo over and over and over and over again. And, you know, this is sort of an unfortunate thing that's in a lot of 80s movies. It's just rampant homophobia. Like you hear so many of these like college and high school movies from the 80s use homo in a very derogatory, angry way. Yeah,
0: a lot of gay jokes. It's not the worst offender by far. No, there's many others. But it it ages very badly,
1: yes. But uh, David Simpkins, the screenwriter, he he says later that like, you know, quote, there's a few things that really break my heart and Brad calling Thor a homo, that one's really tough for me now. That just hurts a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely one of the things where you're like, yee, uh. <laughs> There's a little <laughs> Yeah, they happen. They happen in these movies back then. Sadly. You know, I mean, we can't gloss over that part, but also this is the scene where like Brad sort of shrinks down and he's like, oh my God, Thor is awesome. Like I was so wrong. Basically at this point, there's a couple more big scenes.
0: We do finally get the confrontation with Mike, the dirtbag boyfriend. Right. She finds him out to dinner with another girl. Sesame Plexer, she's such a sleaze. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever been named Sesame Plexer. Never. I don't know how that came to be. Uh, if you are Sesame Plexer and you're listening, obviously you're listening to 80s High Podcast. What else would you be
1: listening to? Please write us in. This is amazing. Thank you so much.
0: Write in. Let us know. Hey, it does exist. What has your life uh, my name been is Sesame like? Plexer. Give us the details. Maybe leave us a review on iTunes. hopefully no, please, a five star review with a nice little rating and a great write up. And you're like, Sesame Plexer, I. I'm a total sleaze for uh, '80s. I don't know. I'm a total sleaze. Don't say that. That's terrible. Awful. (laughs) Oh my god! Again, it's that underdeveloped sense of humor I have. Exactly. (laughs) So (laughs) we have a great confrontation. This is where like Brad kind of stands up to Mike. He's like, "You're such a jerk." He's like, "You've got such a great girl with Chris. Like, why would you give that up?" Yeah, it's really good. In true dirtbag fashion, Mike's basically like. She's not easy enough for me, is effectively what he says. He says it in a more crass way. Brad's like, I'd punch you in the face, but I'm not going to. But then Daryl comes in clutch. He's like, I will. And just decks him and right. knocks him right. over. He falls on a tray, crashes. They're in this like very fancy restaurant making a scene. It's so good. I love Daryl in this moment. He's like, I'll punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah. No,
1: Daryl's, yeah, he finally stands You don't up. have it's to good.
0: stoop. I will. Daryl will. Yeah, That's good. I think we're basically now at the point where they're uh, we're at the the big climax. They're at the the diamond building. Yes. Sarah has run there to escape the goons. Everyone puts two and two together and they're going to go and rescue her. There's great scenes where basically they have to sneak into the party. Chris is in like a fur coat and she's hanging around. I
1: can't remember why she's in there. Is she looking for Sarah? Is that what it is? Oh, so she thinks maybe Sarah is at the party. But again, they're trying to hide from the parents that they're out there. So they hide in a closet with a bunch of coats, which I feel like happens in every freaking movie in the 80s. Like Halloween, like there's just teenagers hiding in closets with coats. Was that a thing you were, when you were a kid in like department stores? Would you go hide in the middle of the rack? Like to hide from your folks? Oh, I got in... Big
0: trouble one time with my mom because I did that and I thought it was hilarious. And she was terrified that I got kidnapped. And she tore into me. She's like, you never do that. (laughs) I got so I was like terrified and I like started crying cause she was so mad, but she's upset. She's like, don't do that. I couldn't find you. Oh and I thought God. it was hilarious. Sure. It's funny it was certain. very fun. Cause they're like the big circular rats. Sure. And you could just, it was like a fort. It was we perfect. Ta- we talked about forts in like what episode four. Yeah. Clearly I loved them so much. Pre-built forts. They were
1: great. But yeah, parents didn't find that funny. Fun back to back this office party, though, is like so many of the actors and the production crew's families are at that party in the movie. Oh, so that's like great. Chris Columbus's parents are at that party. Uh, the screenwriter's parents are in the party. Elizabeth's dad is at the party. Like just a bunch of, they're like, we need extras, everybody in. And they filled out that office party. It's pretty great.
0: Oh, actually, you know what? Speaking of that, I think one of Elizabeth's. Uh, it's her brother. Younger brother, I think, is at the frat party. Like, he's one of the people at the frat party. Right.
1: And so is Elizabeth, but not where you think she is. So they're like shooting all these scenes of the frat party and they, it's like the end of the night. They need extras. And so it's not focused on shoe. She runs to the prop room, grabs a black watch cap and a sweatshirt. And so right as the kids walk in the party, as it pans across, you can see Elizabeth, like it's hard to really tell it's her, but she's in a big baggy sweater and a shirt just dancing along to the party in the background. So she's an extra in her
0: own shot. That's yes! great. How cool oh, is that? Oh, that's amazing. I thought I'm that was a look- fun find. I'm going to look for that. Rewatch it. Oh, darn. I got to rewatch it. Oh, no. What a bummer. Oh, man. Twist my arm. So again, this is one of the big set pieces. This is where they are being chased. They go up to this high floor that's being... Renovated. It's open. It's very um, Nakatomi Tower. That's exactly
1: what <laughs> Mrs. Ben said. She was
0: like, "This looks like Die Hard."
1: They are building. Are- yeah. Yes, it totally looks like Die
0: Hard. And Sarah Yippee is out the window. She's <laughs> crawling on the side of the building. This is that iconic moment. The the one main bad guy is going down. He's trying to get her. Basically, they come and rescue her. She's climbing back up. The guy's like kind of swinging back and forth, trying to grab her. She gets out of the way. Brad pulls her up to safety. And the music swells with this, like, D-d-d-d-d-d-d. it almost sounds like a romance swept off your feet. And Maya Bruton delivers this line in this tone. Oh, Brad.
2: Oh, it yeah. Is
0: what was up with that? So weird. That is very weird. It sounds weird. Like, a, like a love scene, but it's a young child and her brother. It's a strange delivery. And then basically we get the great race home after this. Joe punches out the the main bad guy. He's basically like, hey, I, they want the Playboy. That's what they're here for. Grab it out of Sarah's pack. Oh, which by the way, I think Sarah's pack had like a little character on it. And it's supposed to be reminiscent of Billy having Gizmo in his backpack.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's a good catch. I like that. Nice. Again,
0: Columbus screenplay sure. for Gremlins, and so little tie-ins,
1: little tie-ins, oh, which that's I thought rad. was
0: awesome. That's rad. So we get the whole like drive home. We get the reprise of 25 miles. Sure. Amazing soundtrack, great song. They pick up Brenda, they're flying home, they're on the highway, they see Mr. and Mrs. Anderson. It's the great scene of like, how fast do your parents drive? Brad's oh, like, no forty five. We'll do 80. And they all duck. And then this is like the third time the mom has delivered a funny line that like ties into what the kids are doing, where she's like, oh, look at that lunatic. You know, like Brad and Sarah are going to be on the road someday. Like people like that. That was really good. I like that scene. It's them. Like she also had another great line where she's like, oh, Sarah's probably hanging from the rafters. And that was the part where they're like walking on the beam in the chop -chop. shop. Some fun tie-ins. And then, of course, they get back, clean up the house in record time. Photo finish. She jumps into the couch, pulls out a magazine just as the parents are there. Everything's fine. Dan makes his way back. And then they have the great line, kiss him. Brad kind of makes his peace with uh, the fact that, you know, she
1: found someone age appropriate. Well, see, I'm glad you say age appropriate. I hear your tone, so I know this is going to be not delightful for you. How old is the college kid? Well, the actor, if
0: if this is any guide, the actor is... 33. Sure. Uh she's 24. I don't know. Like right. she's a high school senior and he would be a college
1: junior? Was he? Right. So he's over 18. She's under 18. I'm just saying David Bowie I thought she was 18. No, she says she's 17 in the movie. She says That's it herself. Right. She does say she's 17. You're right. You're right. So I'm just saying David Bowie Death never catch? made never made a move on Sarah, but this adult college student does make a move on a teenage child. And kisses her uh, at the he end drugged of
0: the her with a peach and danced with her at a, like, debutante cotillion. So, sure.
1: I mean, who hasn't danced around at a Burning Man sort of event before?
0: And he wrote, like, a thirsty song for it. You remind me of the babe. What babe? <laughs> the babe with the power. Uh, you're not wrong. Listen, there's two creeps. Let's just agree there's two <laughs> creeps. No. A great catch. She is under 18. That's not okay. That's not okay. Just throw it out there. I mean, it doesn't land the same way.
1: Again, this was a big thing in the 80s, like both directions. Like, Yeah. I mean, you think of like Weird Science and and the the woman they make. Teenage boys getting with adult women, and it goes both ways. Happened a lot in the 80s. No, you're right. That's a good point. You know, babysitting doesn't dodge the bullet on that one either. Aye, aye, aye. But I'll give you this, though. I do actually, like, I know that's sort of a downer note, but I have a counter to Siskel and Ebert. So, you know, so Siskel and Ebert said they didn't feel that this movie was very... Good race-wise, that there were some problems. Yeah, And I'm not sure that I agree with them. So in 1980, Chicago was 46% white and 40% black. And as of 2020, it was 36% white and 30% black. And in my watch through the movie, I feel that not only do all the characters they meet sort of have a good racial balance of who is in downtown Chicago but also runs the spectrum. You've got black people who are criminals. You've got white people who are criminals. You've got black heroes. You've got white helpful people. And then everyone who's complicated in between. I thought it was actually a pretty fair portrayal of the people who inhabit any kind of downtown metropolis. A lot of people on the spectrum from all over.
0: Yeah, I'd be curious to know more about what they were thinking because on one hand, you know, of the the major black characters, two of them are criminals, right? Sure. One is much nicer than the other one, but sure. they are both in a criminal enterprise. Of course you have Albert Collins, the musician who makes a, a, a cameo. I would say those are the the three main characters of color in this movie sure there's a few other you know bit characters here or there i don't know there's the the
1: lady at the um the bus stop who steals the glasses or whatever the gang members are very diverse the people cheating on the the tow truck guy are white there's a white prostitute and like the people running the chop shop are all old white dudes like it sort of runs the gamut would it be different now maybe certainly Maybe. maybe
0: maybe I take your point on that. I, I don't know. I, I was a little shocked when I read that because it didn't immediately come to mind. We've had, we've certainly seen other movies, uh, not necessarily ones we've done on this show, but I definitely see movies from the eighties where I'm like, "Ooh, this yeah, is yeah,
1: right? Bad. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I was a little
0: surprised." Yeah, Ben, I just I have a couple questions for you. Oh yes, we've already talked about some of the things we loved. Do you have a favorite quote or a favorite scene that you think a lot of great? You know, set pieces and moments, but ones that really stand out to you as like your absolute favorites.
1: I know it's so minor, but here Kitty Kitty really got me. Like, I don't know (laughs) why, but Brenda picking up the giant rat in the bus stop. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. And like, that's probably my favorite comedic moment. Yeah. I love the interaction with uh, Thor. Or Vincent and Sarah, like, in the garage. Like, that is very touching that, yeah. like, they always say, like, don't meet your heroes. But she does. And he delivers. Like, she's actually not let down. And he, like, kind of plays along with the game. And he's like, hey, don't worry. I got one of these at home. Like. He finally does. I mean, he's
0: kind of a jerk sure, at the beginning. Sure, the beginning. Right, 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 right. He right, definitely
1: right. proves the rule at the
0: beginning. But she does win him over. Right.
1: But by the end. And it's, like, yeah, I don't yeah. know.
0: That's a really touching scene to me. So those two probably stick out to me. What about you? I mean, I honestly, anything with Brenda, I I think all of her scenes are fantastic. I just love all of her interactions. When we did that rewatch recently, we were cracking up at all things, Brenda Penelope knocks it out of the park. Yeah. You know the the blue scene is easy to say like that's a great scene like I enjoy it I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites I do love all the confrontation on the L I thought that whole scene was great I love the dialogue I love everyone kind of has a moment to stand up and have some kind of like great line or whatever that was good I don't know like I just I love these characters so much I think yeah, they're fantastic they're solid. Daryl and Sarah are also my other faves There's nothing that Keith does wrong as brad but i just think brad is like not as interesting of a character he doesn't have as much good yeah, stuff he's sure. just he's the one with the unrequited teenage crush and uh i think as a result he just doesn't get as much like fun moments he doesn't get as many great lines yeah that's a good point one last question ben oh dear where do you rank this movie of all of the thor movies where does this one fit <laughs> also who wore it better hemsworth or d'onofrio man oh it's such a hard question would you put this above actual Thor movies? Are there any Thor movies that you think aren't as good as Thor movies as Adventures of Babysitting?
1: I think if you put this with other like modern Chris Hemsworth, like just the Thor only properties, this would be my favorite Thor movie. As far as just. Is this like,
0: better than Thor? T- I mean, this is this better than. Um,
1: what about. Okay, there is Thor Ragnarok there. Yeah, I think it has stiff competition from Thor Ragnarok. What about Thor 2 Electric Boogaloo? I mean, the first pilot episode of Snorks beats Thor too for <laughs> me. I mean, you know, but uh, no, it's it's a pretty phenomenal Thor appearance in this movie. I'm all about it.
0: You know how they did like the Spider-Man where all of the actors who played Spider-Man come together? I kind of want like a Thor. A Thor-verse? Thor 4, Thorgasm, just do it. And then like all the Thors show up and uh, I'm sure someone else played Thor in one of the other movies. And then D'Onofrio could change outfits and be kingpin. I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, Oh yeah. Who's jumping in contemporary culture now? Uh, Ben, is there anything else in chemistry we can talk about before we head on to our next class?
1: No, I do think we just read the screenplay word for word for everybody. Oh, my God. Plus our reactions to it. So I I have nothing left. I swear we weren't going to do that. And here we did. Um, You know what, Ben?
0: (laughs) Those hot dogs sure smell good. They sure do. Uh, I've got a check from Chris's mom. And let's see if the vendor will slip us the wiener in the cafeteria. Oh my God. So we can refuel for contemporary culture where we learn what adventures await beyond the 1980s. Let's do it.
2: When's your mom leaving for Australia? Oh, in about an hour and a half. She's leaving you guys all alone. I'm getting rid of her for two whole months. I can go to the beach. I can stay out as late as I want. I can do anything. I'm a free woman. Hi. Hello to you. I'm a steward. I'm a babysitter. What? <laughs> Alright, you little maggots now, light up. Are you serious? If I'll make your summer a living. Hell! TV rocks your brain. It's time we let her know the rules.
1: Yeah, we outnumber her. Let's kick some butt. Mrs. Sturak. Mrs. Sturrock? Oh, my
2: God. She died in her sleep. She'll probably blame us. And hey, be careful. I got her. No, I mean my skateboard. Don't tell Mom the babysitter's dead. Rock and roll! Now, Christina Applegate and her brother What? bounce back for a summer with How's my baby? No room In your dreams, babe No curfews No nagging No pulse Oh, how you doing, Mom? No, Mrs. Strack's not here She, um, she went to the yarn store
1: So, what do you guys want for breakfast? Cheese on, but spaghetti Breakfast is served Row the lawn today and don't forget to do the dishes, okay? Ah! <laughs> dishes are done, man
2: don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. <coughs>
0: Beware and warning! This book is different from other books. You and you alone are
1: in charge of what happens in this story. If that brings back childhood memories of reading past your bedtime and keeping your fingers positioned just so in order to go back and cheat death, then you are part of the Choose Your Own Adventure generation, the fourth best-selling children's book series of all time. Since 2006, Choose Your Own Adventure
0: has relaunched copies of original 80s bestsellers as well well as all new books, tabletop games, and graphic novel adaptations of the famous gamebook series.
1: If you decide to use all of your numerous talents and much of your enormous intelligence to introduce interactive gamebooks to a new generation, visit CYOA.com. Use code 80 high for 20% off your first order. That's code 80 high. Ben,
0: I'm going to hope that that was actually a hot dog and not jumbo-sized sewer rat. I'm just, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that's not what we had for lunch. It's a school cafeteria. It's
1: dicey at best. I did hear the cafeteria lady say, here, kitty, kitty, which really worried me oh. when she said that. I don't remember bringing a cat, anyone bringing a cat to school today. All right. Well, I did steer clear of that
0: tomato soup because, you know, move, we, we talked right? too much about vampires. It's Good just like, move. Yeah, it was a dicey lunch. We're here in contemporary culture. I think, you know, there's, things proper from Adventures in Babysitting that I'd like to talk about. Do you first want to talk about, like, career-wise, what happened to a lot of these actors and what they were in kind of after Adventures in Babysitting? We talked about a lot of their pre-careers. You know, we kind of hinted many of these people blew up, as we all know. Do you just want to talk a little bit about some of the
1: TV and movie Filmography? No, totally. And I, I won't try and get too in the weeds here, but since you just ended talking about him, so Vincent D'Onofrio goes on. I mean, I want to say, like you just said, he slays it as Kingpin in the Daredevil series. Yeah. I think he's awesome in that role. But he also, I guess where he really uh, cut his teeth was uh, Law and Order Criminal Intent. I guess he was a really big deal on that show.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right.
1: Now, I will say,
0: again, I got to bring this back up, Men in Black, he does an amazing yeah, right. job as that villain in the Edgar suit, his acting in that makes that movie. He's so delightful. This guy's apparently a very good villain. He's so good. There, is that better? When he like pulls his face up, so good. Yeah, Vincent, obviously, huge acting career. Uh, Elizabeth, let's just talk about her. Sure. Because we got to do our tie back. Maya was young Lorraine's sister in 1955 in the first movie. Right. We bring it full circle because as you all know... Jennifer Parker, Marty McFly's girlfriend, gets recast in the second, third movie by none other than Elizabeth Shue. It's pretty good. Her last name is Parker in both of these movies. And so what a great connection. I thought that was just fantastic. No, that's really awesome. That's a great catch. Oh, here's another funny part too. Elizabeth Shue does the same action and line in both of these movies. She does it in Back to the Future, part two, I believe. And she does it in... Adventures of Baby City. Do you know what that is, Ben? We Gotta Go Back? Oh, that's a good one. No, what is it? She faints. Oh. And then she, when she comes to, she says the line, I had the worst
1: nightmare. She says that in both of those movies. Oh, yeah. I can. I know exactly. She's like waking up on the bench on the front porch. I had the worst nightmare. So funny. That's and then talk. she, I
0: think, faints when uh, they think Brad is dead at the hospital.
1: Oh, my God.
0: That's right. Wow. I mean, yeah. let's not typecast her. You know, branch out, shoe. Well, she does go on to play in Leaving Las Vegas, uh, much acclaim. And I think she was up for an Academy Award nomination. She gets an Oscar nomination out of that. Yeah. Yeah, which is huge. She plays in that movie, uh, Sarah. Another Sarah. Yeah, there <laughs> Actually, we she go. A named Sarah. And then you mentioned this. She also portrays Madeline Stilwell in the Amazon series, The Boys. Now, you love this series, you talk about it a lot, haven't had a chance to watch it.
1: It sounds like you do remember her from this show. Oh, you can't not remember her from this show. I, okay, so look, she's she's a standout. I cannot give you any spoilers. I know you're burnt out on superheroes. When you become unburnt, I cannot wait for you to watch The Boys. Because how charming and sweet and innocent she is in Adventures in Babysitting and what she becomes in The Boys mm. is a... Sp- down is uh, like and honestly, from an actor's point of view, amazing the change she does and the character range she has. But like, I just cannot wait for you to see Elizabeth Shue in The Boys. I cannot wait. It's going to be so good. That's amazing. I mean, she
0: is electric on the screen, she's fantastic. She had a small part in a season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I was just like, I want her to be on this show full time. Elizabeth is just, she's fantastic. I think she steals the screen. And
1: it's a little belated, but I do want to say happy birthday, Elizabeth. Your birthday was last week when we're recording this. You turned 60
0: last week. So happy 60th birthday, Elizabeth Shue. 60 and spectacular. Way to go, Elizabeth Shue. You're awesome. Uh, Penelope Ann Miller. My goodness. Talk about another rising star. Brenda again. She goes on – I did not realize this – to star opposite Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop. Yeah,
1: it's pretty awesome.
0: She's the teacher. I didn't realize that was her. You know, maybe it's like the glasses and the hair because she has like blonde hair and it's like I think a little curlier if I remember correctly in Kindergarten Cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not recognize that was her. Uh, And then most recently, she played Joyce Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer's mother. Oh my god! And uh, the Netflix series Dahmer Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. I haven't. Have you seen this, Ben? No, I have not. Okay, I haven't seen it, but I know that that show is like huge. It, it kind of blew up, and so not sure I'm in the mood to watch a serial killer slash cannibal. Type no, show, no, no, but, no. Uh, I mean, it is the Halloween season, right? While well, we're recording, but I hear Evan Peters is fantastic as well. Uh, another Marvel tie-in. He does play. Uh, Well, I guess not Marvel Cinematic Universe yet, yet. Yet. He does play Quicksilver. But anyway, who else? We've got, well, Anthony Rapp, Daryl. So Anthony's been like in a ton of movies, TV, theater. He actually shows up in Columbus's
1: movie adaptation of Rent. When I read that, I was like, oh my God, I totally see the adult Rent face in Baby Raps face in this movie. Okay, so totally. you've seen this movie. You've oh, seen yeah, Rent. it's fantastic. I mean, it's a great... Okay. Usually I'm not like a super fan of when they adapt musicals to the TV experience.
0: It doesn't always work it's out. kind of hit or
1: miss, but Rent is a pretty solid adaptation.
0: Awesome. And then another cool thing, he's apparently series regular on Star Trek Discovery. He plays Lieutenant Commander Paul Stemmets. I didn't realize that. I
1: was wondering what you thought about that. Like, because I I did watch Discovery. I'm not a huge Trekkie, but I'm trying to, I tried to keep up. My last company had a lot of Trekkies in it. So I was trying to, I was trying to be able to do water cooler talk. There was no sports talk. It was all Trek talk. It's all Trekkie talk. So I was trying to catch up, but like, he's a pretty remarkable performance in that TV series. Like very heartfelt. He plays an incredible character. Uh, for those of you like, who are trying to remember, he's like the engineer who can like travel. I forget what it's called. The myceum something. They use mushrooms oh, to jump yeah. through space. And he's like the guy who runs it. But like he does an awesome job in that show.
0: So he's had a, a huge career. Uh, Keith Coogan, Brad, he does go on to star in a, a movie I love from the 90s, Toy Soldiers. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, that had Will Wheaton. That had uh, Sean Astin. That had yeah. like, so many big names in it. He's one of those characters, but of course, talk about typecasting. Yeah, I think a lot of people know Coogan shows up in 1991's "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead." Two babysitter movies I within a four-year
1: time span, and in that one, uh, who's in charge? Christina Applegate, right? From Christina uh, "Married Applegate. with Children," yeah. is kind
0: of the main baby. Yeah, yeah, she's the sister Kelly.
1: Oh my god, um,
0: did you see "Don't Tell Mom the
1: Babysitter's Dead"? Oh, for sure. Come on,
0: yeah. Not as good as Adventures in Babysitting, but uh, we were always joking we should do a babysitter movie night and just watch these oh, two movies. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, That and would then, be fun. And then, I don't know, one. we could throw in Halloween and- um, Halloween fits what's for that, sure. When a stranger calls. I think that's oh the one God. with the, like, the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah, Right. Oh, my God. You know, if you never God. want to sleep again uh, right. or babysit.
1: Oh, speaking of which, we need to get back to that. You you wanted to talk about babysitting gigs, right? I do very much. And, and right before we get that, I do just want to mention that Bradley Whitford as Jerk Mike- Goes on to win three Emmys for The West Wing, Handmaid's Tale, and Transparent. So he also has a phenomenal career after this movie, despite his character's cruelty and stupidity. Well, he
0: also plays the father in Jordan Peele's uh, 2017 social oh, yeah. thriller right, 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 slash right, right. horror movie, Get Out.
1: Fantastic movie. Yeah.
0: And of course, you mentioned Handmaid's Tale, huge. But uh, of course, a lot of us know him as Josh Lyman from The West Wing, if you've ever watched that oh, show. Oh, yeah, sure. That's one of the big things I, I know Bradley from. Uh, a couple other things. So Maya Bruton, who plays Sarah, she- kind of doesn't go on to do a lot more. She just sort of shift away from acting. She did show up as an antagonistic sister once again in the uh 1990, the 1993 series Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Okay. Okay. But she goes on to graduate from Yale and she's now uh, an attorney. I believe she's still a practicing wow. attorney. Oh, so she's didn't have a big filmography, but you know, kind of shifted away from it. It's not too uncommon from child stars. Yeah. You know, we're her. just like, I'm good. I'm gonna To follow a different passion. So Maya, if you're listening, we know you are. You're listening along with everybody else. Uh, Give us a shout out. We want to interview you. Call us up. We're going to talk about your time on the show. We're going to do it. Maya's great. And then just one other character, because he has had a distinguished career. We talked about Graydon, the poor man that uh, was typecast with a hook hand in that Japanese poster. Oh, yeah, right. He's maybe still hanging out on the side of that building to this day. No one knows if we ever rescued that poor guy. Ronald Canada. He has a really long acting career, and I wanted to mention this because he's one of those actors that is in, like, everything, but, like, you don't remember until you look for him. It's kind of like you buy a car and all of a sudden that car is everywhere, right? The the, the Gene Hackman of movies. He's in all of them
1: that he doesn't star in.
0: It's crazy. Yes. So he's in a lot of, like, legal and detective shows. He's in a lot of sci-fi shows. So he shows up in The Shield, Boston Legal. He's in multiple Star Treks. Oh, yeah. He's in Babylon 5, and he's also in The Orville.
1: I really love The Orville. The Orville's really good, actually. I really miss that show. I
0: think he's like an admiral or something in yeah, there. Yeah,
1: totally, but totally. He shows up in like a ton of stuff. He's also in some
0: movies like Lone Star, Wedding Crashers, and Cinderella Man. So again, one of these guys that once you recognize him, you'll see him everywhere. I don't, I didn't see where he ever had like a huge lead role, but uh, Ronald Canada just always there. You know, playing a great character. And uh, yeah, I thought that was fantastic. Awesome. So uh, we did want to talk about, as we mentioned, um, we forgot to talk about this in chemistry, is you wanted to talk about just like babysitting experiences. Sure. So we're going to take a a little brief pause. Right now, it's like Twister. I've got left hand in the contemporary culture, right foot back in chemistry class. I don't know how long I can hold this pose, Ben, but what questions did you have?
1: What you want to talk about? Well, oh, no, like, let's start with with little kid us. Like, did you have babysitters as a kid? And if so, like, do you have any adventure memories of your babysitters as a kid?
0: I did. Yeah. So, I mean, we had multiples throughout the year. Uh, I moved a lot. I think I've talked about that before. So, like, we didn't have, like, the standard neighbor across the street that always came and watched us. Sure. So my friend Nathan and I grew up together, talk about him a lot. We're the ones who smashed our toys together and Legos and did all the fun, you know. Yeah. Fun action figure, epic battles, whatnot, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember her name, but we always had this like favorite babysitter. She was so cool. She was a lot of fun. She was like a Chris Parker to us. She was just super cool, super chill. She was awesome. Loved her so much. I will say one of the funny moments, not really a babysitter moment, but Nathan and I, we used to make like movies. We just create movies. We had like a camcorder. Sure. Yeah. And his stepdad once, we were making this movie about kids home alone and like there's a killer outside and like all these like crazy things are happening. And he basically agreed to be like the killer. So it was like late at night, we were there. So it wasn't a babysitter, but it kind of felt like that moment where he had like a croquet mallet and was like out in the driveway or whatever. like it was almost like found footage before found footage. We're like walking yes. out the camera and we look out the window and he's out there with a croquet mallet and like chases us. Oh my God. It was so much fun. So not really a babysitter moment, but it had that vibe. What about you?
1: Nothing as delightfully charming and hilarious and crazy as that. I, I mean, I remember I babysitters were a frequent thing in my house growing up. My big brother was my babysitter until he went off to college. Yeah. And then I remember there was Jennifer who was exceptionally my senior and like brad i had a big crush on her oh. but there was no chance i mean she was way older yeah so there's no chance but i was always like wow she's beautiful and she's so funny like i was as a little kid i thought she was amazing yeah and then god i wish i could remember his name but this this guy came over to babysit and i remember him saying he had a lot of homework he had a lot of homework kid to work on that night and so he opens his backpack and reveals a nintendo entertainment system Which at that point, a console had never been in my house before. Oh. And he hooked it up. And he, like, maybe 30 minutes, played a couple games with me. He's like, you get how it works? I was like, yeah. He goes, okay, I got to go do homework. So for, like, four hours, I was left alone with a Nintendo while this guy did homework. And it was, like, one of the most awesome nights (laughs) ever as a kid. He had an awesome collection of games. It was great. I remember this story.
0: It was either, like, when we talked about... Duck Hunt and the NES Zapper, or maybe it was the Game Boy. It was one of those. I remember this story.
1: It's come full circle. That's great. It's awesome. Now, flip side, did you ever babysit? I did. And any adventures in babysitting for you? I had a brief
0: gig. I was, I guess, in middle school. The neighbors, like, directly next to us uh, had a little kid. And the kid was probably, like, I don't know, four or five. And so, like, the parents would just want to, you know, have a date night or whatever. And... We got to know them as neighbors, and so they let me come watch the kid. He was super chill, a lot of fun. I remember, like, he had a little basketball hoop. We'd like play basketball or whatever. It worked well. Uh, I got to watch him, made a little money, probably spend it on Super Nintendo games. Uh, <laughs> what you know, every preteen boy's dream in the '90s. How about you, Ben? I feel like you had a business. You had like a GeoCities <laughs> site where you had a service, little entrepreneur Ben, always the kid out for
1: some kind of adventure. Was that you? You're 100% right. I, I was a very active <laughs> babysitter as a teenager. Um, and that's like what blows. And like, they were great. I mean, it was, it was mostly one household that I babysat a lot for. They had two kids, little boy and girl. It was great. And they, what helped is they were really into computer video games. So we would oh, oftentimes, yeah. like, I would basically just help them get through hard parts of a video game all night and make them dinner, like make a pizza. They were great. They were really easy to babysit. But like the thing that blows my mind, like you and I both babysat at the age of 13. And when I like listen to parents today, you know, you're looking through these resumes of like professional sitters and it costs, you know, have someone like look after kids like thousands of dollars in a month. And they're grownups. I never hear any parents talking about the neighbor's kids coming over to babysit anymore. Like, but back then... It was it was teenagers young teenagers like yeah. younger than Elizabeth Shue in this movie Babysitting kids and it was fine. it was normal. yeah nobody did a
0: background check on me. It was just like, oh, you're the no. neighbor kid you seem responsible
1: and look what happened all the mayhem we left in our wake uh no yeah. exactly it was no problem. yeah, this it was such was a different time. So let's talk a
0: little bit about uh did you see that there was a TV pilot for adventures
1: in babysitting? I did. I know very little about it. I've never seen it, uh, but there are rumors around that you might have an intimate knowledge of it. So, do you remember another movie we talked about that
0: also got a television treatment? Actually, multiple seasons, as it turns out. Do you remember one we talked about? With a certain oh, cryptid? Uh, oh, Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah. 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 There was an unsold television pilot for Adventures in Babysitting, starring Jennifer Guthrie, don't know who that is, Brian Austin Green, that's a name. That's a name. Joey Lawrence, also a big name, it was pitched in 1989. This pilot is watchable? Well, okay, one can watch it. Uh, Whether it's watchable is perhaps a debate. What's crazy is the theme song to kick this off is Just Can't Stop. From the movie. That's from the soundtrack. I just can't stop trying to get a hold on you. That's the theme song to this pilot. And uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's not good, Ben. It's not good. I tried watching (laughs) it. Then I started scrubbing (laughs) it. It wasn't great. The laugh track felt very forced. Oh, no. That's all I really have to say about it. But it is out there.
1: Okay. It exists. You can go find it. Get excited, folks
0: apparently there is a pg version of this movie currently streaming on disney plus truth these are facts it has a notice that it's edited for content they remove strong and offensive language no more is thor a cringe homo
1: he's a weirdo oh how's the uh, gang showdown go in the l there's a lot of words thrown around in the l don't fool with the babysitter Okay, okay.
0: Now, what I did not hear is how the S bomb gets redubbed, or if it does. They drop the S bomb a few times. Oh, yeah. Maybe they just take that out. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe Disney's totally
1: fine with that word. It's one of their favorites. They're like, oh.
0: <laughs> oddly, they don't, you know, they're like, oh, that's totally fine. Now, Ben, ben you had mentioned in 2011, there was uh, perhaps a spiritual successor after, of course, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Do we get another spiritual successor to Adventures of Babysitting?
1: Yeah, it's just uh, Jonah Hill stars in it. It's called The Sitter. I have never seen it. I have read very little about it. But I okay. was just, when I was trying to find, uh, you know, what has Adventures in Babysitting inspired. Okay. This is the only movie I could find out there besides Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's. But that's kind of different. They kind of stay at one location, go by yeah. the town. But, you know, Jonah's ferrying kids all over at, my understanding is a town in this. Very similar to Adventures okay. in Babysitting. But maybe I'll have to give it a watch if it's, uh, you know, it has the same DNA as this one. If you've seen it, folks,
0: email us, engage us on Instagram. Let us know, hey, this is a Jonah Hill classic. How dare you skip this one? Put it on your watch list. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's
1: fun. Maybe it's a good one. I don't know. But that's probably not the biggest headline-grabbing successor.
0: Uh, it's not. Right before that, though, this was an odd timing thing. In 2015, Entrata Records releases an album for this film, a music album? Did you see this? No, this I did not see this. is the most delayed what? album ever. It features the score by Michael Kamen, all of the soundtrack, including some unused songs. It also features Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals, Babysitting Blues by Albert Collins, 25 Miles by Edward Starr, and Just Can't Stop by Percy Sledge. So the soundtrack oh, comes out. look at that. Two decades, three decades later, almost, yeah, 30 years later, <laughs> the soundtrack comes out. So weird. The only thing I can think of is they re release it for what comes next. You addressed. The elephant in the room of contemporary culture, which is this movie gets a remake in
1: 2016. And you've never seen it. You've not gone anywhere near it, right? You've tried to stay away best you can.
0: Folks, I went and watched the Battleship movie.
1: I went and watched Never
0: Need Story Part 2 with Jonathan oh, Briggs. Yeah, I watched that movie. So, of course, I'm like, I love Adventures Babysitting. I have to watch the remake from 2016. And I did, everybody. Well, oh,
1: you hero of the podcast.
0: Okay, so around 2010, Disney is reportedly planning a remake and it's going to star Raven Simone. Uh that's so Raven. Oh, that's what it's from. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. But apparently this movie is not so Raven because she does not end up starring in this. And tentatively this movie is going to be titled Further Adventures in Babysitting. Oh boy. I mean, at least it's not Night on the Town, but I don't know. It just <laughs> seems like terrible. I don't know. Also, allegedly, right after this time, Miley Cyrus was supposed to be in consideration, though she came out later and was like, yeah, no, that never happened. So who knows exactly about that? But in January of 2015, Disney Channel announces the remake is going forward, starring Sabrina Carpenter and Sophia Carson as competing babysitters. Ooh, a little competition in the run now. Okay. A little competition. And this movie premieres on Disney Channel in the US and Canada. In June of 2016. Now, here's the plot, Ben. Oh, tell me about it. Two teen rival babysitters, Jenny and Lola, must team up to hunt down one of their kids who accidentally runs away into the big city with no supervision. Jenny, played by Sabrina Carpenter, is an uptight perfectionist trying to round out her high school transcripts with an internship so she can get into college. Whereas Lola, played by Sophia Carson, is a free spirit who loves photography, but doesn't know what she wants out of life. So oh you got boy. the odd couple scenario, right? Okay. I mean, this movie is is very Disney Channel. I will say this much. It uh, Okay. Let me just preface. As movies and remakes go, it wasn't as bad as what I expected, but it oh, is wow. okay. heavily Disney-fied. Whereas under the touchstone imprint, they're like, we're going to get a little racy. We're going to drop some bombs of of the language and subject variety. They go pretty saccharine with this one. I mean, it's pretty tropey. There's a cell phone mix-up. You've got the odd couple competing for the same internship. There's miscommunications. You know, they do the two families, two different babysitting gigs, and the groups come together. I will say this much. The stakes... Would you say the stakes in the original movie felt real? Like, do you think they were actually in danger running through Chicago? Chop shop goons on their tail, gang fights on the L.
1: Did it feel real to you? I mean, they were in the middle of the gang. Yeah, the gang fight on the L. That's like, and she's like hanging out of a, a skyscraper. Very real stakes. Yeah. This one.
0: So there's two crooks in this one chasing them because they've kidnapped a purple ferret. What? So Lola's a photographer. She's taking pictures of their, you know, chronicling all these things that are happening throughout the night. She takes a picture of this ferret. So they're trying to get her camera back because she's taking a photo. So it's not a playboy. It's a photo of this pilfered ferret that they have. And so the stakes are very Home Alone. Oh, no. But like Home Alone 3, not Home Alone 1 and 2. We're not talking Marvin Harry. We're talking French Stewart third tier home alone three villains oh my god it's, it's terrible. that kind of slapstick goofiness okay it's a lot they have a, f- a couple callbacks like your parents will never ask me to babysit again if they do i'd ask for 10 bucks more an hour which shows inflation <laughs> right because brad's like sure. i'd ask for right. a buck more an hour right. nowadays it's 10 more an hour uh they do run out on stage no but it's not a blues club there's a dj Lame. And they run on stage and basically they have to get into a...
1: Please don't say beatbox battle.
0: Worse. It's a Disney version of like epic rap battles. I hate it. You can kind of buy in the original where they're like hamming their way through the lyrics and, like you know, Shu kind of warms up to it and she finally gets into it. And the kids are just baby, baby. You know, they've got like a sure. little backup, yeah, or whatever. Right. This is the most polished, Eminem-inspired, eight-mile rap takedown. But again, very, very saccharine G-rated. Of course. Where they're like in each other's face and they're coming up with these like sick burns and all this other stuff. There's a literal mic drop. It's a little much.
1: Okay. Good to know. But they do that.
0: So that's their homage to the that scene. Oh, and that that was the tagline. So rather than, um, I got the baby, baby, babysitting blues, right? You know, you got the little tagline. Yeah, right, 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 right. This one, she ain't no quitter. She's a babysitter. She ain't no quitter. She's a babysitter.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, that was oh, kind of the, the hook of the rap. It's cringy. Oh, boy.
0: It was a lot. The big showdown with the tow truck driver who's trying to, like, screw them over. You know, the uptight girl grabs the keys from her and says, don't mess with the babysitter.
1: Oh, nice callback. Okay, good. A little bit of an homage there. Very good.
0: But here's been where, like, the credibility of this movie goes deeper than the McAllister's basement where there's a, a murder furnace. In the original movie, right, Brad spills some pasta. There's like a food stain on the kitchen counter, right? Chris runs back. She's like spraying it down with like cleaner. She's wiping, you know, the noodles into the sink, you know, into a rag and like dumping them in the trash, right? She's doing like moderate cleanup, right? Yes. Okay. I remember the scene. Yeah. Okay. 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 Believable enough, right? She's just doing moderate cleanup. The house that they have to clean up in this one is thoroughly trashed. Cupcakes have been burnt and exploded. Someone dropped like a huge vat of some kind of pasta. A dog has been dyed the wrong color. A carpet, like a rug has been burned. Oh my God. And they clean it up in like 15 minutes. It is the most absurd. Oh, uh, a, a clothes washer has overflown with like a flood of suds. It is like the entire floor How is, this is- possible? Just a sea of suds. And they clean it up in the most ridiculous amount of time. And I was like- did this really need to be this over-the-top? Did it really need to it feels be this like a bit ridiculous? Much. It feels like a bit much. It was the most. I will say, wasn't as bad as I thought. Clearly not as good as the original, but it exists.
1: There you go. I feel like this could have just been an episode of like Hannah Montana and we could have moved on. You know, one of those, one of those Disney TV shows.
0: 100%. I never was big into Disney Channel. I think I aged out of it before it really became a thing. Totally. So like the... You know, the Mickey Mouse Club. Like I was never like, you know, big onto all that stuff. But apparently a lot of kids who star in this are like big on Disney Channel now. They show up in a bunch of their things. This was their adventures in babysitting. This is
1: how they got their start.
0: Exactly. So that I think is where we end contemporary culture. Unless you found anything more recent than that. A re-remake, a sequel to the remake, further adventures in babysitting.
1: No, I got nothing.
0: raven Simone's coming back.
1: I don't know. Okay. I guess last year was the 35th anniversary. Um, so there okay. was a lot of stuff that happened in 2022, a lot of revisits with the original cast. I won't read the giant block quote, but I'll just say Elizabeth Shue remembers this movie very warmly and feels honored and delighted that she got to be a part of it.
0: That's awesome because you know, there's a lot of actors who are like, I don't remember it was just a job. Zero Jessica Parker. She's like, I don't remember being in flight of the navigator right, or whatever. Sure. If you say so, sure I was in it. But it's always nice when you can tell people like movies that you love, like the actors in it love it too, and it's like a special place in their heart. It's always it's nice. I, I like that. That's great. Yeah, totally. Well, Ben, I think this babysitting gig is is near its end. And frankly, I'm practically hanging off the side of a skyscraper with anticipation <laughs> on whether this movie can make it home before 1 a.m., proving that it still holds up today in 2023, or is it doomed at the chop shop to be sold for
1: parts? And we got to go to math class for our final assessment. That's true. What do you say? Right. Just like Elizabeth, let's run home as fast as we can, beat the race, and let's see how uh, everything's going to weigh out and if we'll get paid at the end of the night for our work this evening for all the kids. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm doing the math, and I think we need to ask for like a hundred more dollars an hour. Easily, easily. Easily. Come on.
1: And that'll buy
0: two tires in the 80s, which is pretty nice. Or four meals at Taco Bell down the street. Oh, oh my right. God. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. Ben, you've shown your hand a little bit. We know some of your favorite moments, but yeah. we've also talked about some of the blemishes of this movie. On balance, on the whole, are you a Siskel? Are you a Ebert? How does
1: this <laughs> movie hold up today? in 2023 to. I'm a seabird. I'm an Eskel. Ooh. I don't know what it is. Ooh. Okay. No, All I right. mean this this is a very like tried and true formula for like teenage media in general. Like and, like any any shows about teenagers, any movies about teenagers of where like teenagers find themselves in a lot of adult situations and they outsmart the adults. Right. Mm. And I, I don't know how common it was like before the 80s, but like it's very common in the 80s and it works. It works like super well. Right. This movie is is a lot of fun to watch. I mean, every every main character crushes their job in their acting role. I can't think of anyone that I'm like, wow, they were really phoning it in or like oh, overly handled I feel like everybody was perfect casting in their roles. Yeah. You know, like we mentioned, it's episodic like Labyrinth and way better at being episodic. Like, for some reason, the scenes make sense following one another. You know, the stakes keep getting higher, but you understand why the group is moving between the episodes. Like, your heart's there because they're kids. You don't want anything bad to happen to the kids, so you're kind of in it. And, like, you really did a good job of pointing out, like, it has an awesome soundtrack. And any movie that has Mm. a killer soundtrack, like, I, I went on and on about Transformers, the movie, before. And this is even, this is much better than Transformers, the movie. It's a great soundtrack. Yeah. You know, like you said, The Blemish, it almost has a coverall from poorly dated 80s bingo. Like, we've got we've got <laughs> really derogatory against LGBTQ, we've got ableism, we've got an adult man kissing an underage teenage girl, and although I, I disagree and I don't really see it, like, Siskel and Ebert were kind of upset about how race was portrayed in the movie. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't escape the 80s, I think, unblemished.
0: There's also a little joke about sexual assault,
1: Oh God, I forgot about that. Right? Yeah,
0: Daryl has a little joke about that. It's kind of like, oh boy. Yeah,
1: so it doesn't escape totally unscathed. But um, you know, once you get, uh, if you overlook those, and again, like you say, with a lot of media, remembering the things were of a time, of a different culture, things like that. It's at the end of the day, it's in the name. It's a great adventure. It's a really fun adventure movie, and like really genuinely funny moments. Like not like oh, but like we've done a lot of stuff on the show where I like I'll scoff. At a thing. And I'll say, yeah, that was funny. No, I got like legit unbridled lulls from this film many times. So it's it's a fun watch. It's a great movie. I can see why it's one of your favorites out of the 80s. I'm glad it was made. And I'm glad it's still here for us to watch today. Uh What about you, good sir? I'm sure you're just going to eviscerate <laughs> top to bottom Columbus and Shoe. How'd you feel about it? So this is where,
0: much like... Never Neverending Story, I basically laid out like a prosecutor's case against the defendant. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this movie on trial. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, really? Okay.
0: Yeah. I I mean, obviously, I think this movie is a delightful time capsule of the era. And I think that both for like the childhood memories that it conjures up, you know, getting into antics while under the watch of a babysitter, also for having your own adventures with friends while your parents were out. Oh, yeah, sure. Like that was just such like a a, a keystone part of your childhood which is great but then also like secondly for like the teen comedy movies of the era you know this is when the brat pack was looming large this is when chicago and its suburbs were like prominent characters in so many oh, of these yeah. like movies for kids and for teens and these kids were in charge of their own destinies so much so that ebert's like where are all the parents at even though we named like eight different adults who are in Pray, this movie there's plenty of adults come on but you know, it focuses on the kids. And like as a kid seeing this growing up, that was great. And this movie, it's, it's just plain fun. From the characters and the dialogue to the series of unfortunate events that unfold. It's a joy. You know, we talked about this as for what doesn't work. I do think the movie bogs down a bit toward the end at the frat house. I don't know that that all was necessary. The new love interest feels shoehorned in. I think this still could have been a great movie without having the Dan character show oh, up yeah, like sure. Chris just gets over Mike and, you know, as an adventure and gets on with their life. But you know, as a lot of these comedies of, of the era, you know, you gotta have a love interest in there. So if you're going to do it, make sure he's overaged. Uh, oh my. God. <laughs> so obviously that doesn't hold up. Um, you know, there's some language where you've mentioned already that doesn't really fly today. But like you said, I, I think these are minimal offenses in the grand scheme of things, certainly in comparison to other teen comedies of the era. We're looking at you, Sixteen Candles.
1: Oh, my God. Right. Whoa. <laughs>
0: and in relation, I think, to the uh, the rest of the movie that really is firing on all cylinders, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Brenda and Sarah are the showstoppers. Penelope Ann Miller and Maya Bruton steal every scene. They bring the big laughs. And I would say Anthony Rapp's Daryl comes in a close third. His crass wisecracks and ridiculous expressions. I mean, he's one of those people that you just like, you love to hate. Like, you're just like, this guy's a jerk, but he's also kind of funny. <laughs> he's a rambunctious <laughs> little punk, but uh, he's, he's kind of lovable all the same. Yeah. So yeah, in short, I find this movie to be a top favorite from the 80s because of the joy it brings from start to finish, which is something we're always seeking on this podcast, right? We're looking for joy. We're looking for that joyful stream. And I'm glad I got to share it with you, Ben, and uh, with you, our dear listeners. So thank you so much for listening.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here, listeners. We didn't get a survey out for this one, but if you've got some memories from this movie or some wonderful babysitting stories you want to share with us, write us at 80shighpodcast at gmail.com or shoot it to us at Instagram. We would love to anonymously read it on the show to protect you from the chop shop goons who are chasing you across your beloved urban landscape.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) We're we're a safe haven for people to tell their stories, but we're not going to call you out. Precisely. Believe it or not, we have arrived at the last episode already of season four. It's true. Again, short season, eight episodes, but next time, Ben, talk about going out with a bang. We decided, I think, on one of the most pitch-perfect ways to end season four. For 80s high to graduate with style. What are we talking about
1: next episode? Pitch Perfect. What a great reference. We are going back to 1985 to talk about the charity single recorded by the supergroup USA for Africa, We Are the World. This was Mm. this incredible moment where artists like Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, Ray Charles, Billy Joel, Cyndi Lauper's the boss, Bruce Springsteen, Tina Turner, and many, 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 many more came together to record this single and try and raise a lot of awareness and support and help for a lot of struggles we're going to talk about next time in Africa. And I'm just excited that we're going out on this one because we started 80s High to try and bring back together so many different creative, wonderful things from the 80s that made it magical yeah. and to try and bring a lot of us together in a really challenging time in history. And I'm not saying we are any anywhere near as successful as we are the world, but it is in the spirit of why this show exists. And so we're excited to kind of go out on this one and talk about these, these incredible artists who really did a lot of good for the world at this time.
0: I'm thrilled. And I have... Heard there are just some very fascinating backstories behind the scenes that we can get into. I don't know what those are, but I'm so excited to learn about them before we record our next episode. And I'm sure we're going to talk all about those and more, Ben. So everyone, join us for the last episode of season four of what, Ben? 80s High. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help spread the rumor. Stay radical.